There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. This is now playing's Avengers Retrospective Series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Never heard of them. Part of the now playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. Well, I guess that's worth a look. Hosted by Arnie. I hope they remember you. Jacob. He is not a dude. You're a dude. This, this is a man. And Stuart. This might be dangerous, so let's put on our mean faces. What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, we will be reviewing all the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies featuring the superheroes Iron Man. I'm just not the, the hero type, clearly. The Incredible Hulk. Hulk like raging fire. Thor. You call yourself Lord of Thunder. God of Thunder. Captain America. Just don't know when to give up, do you? I can do this all day. Ant-Man. The ultimate secret weapon. Guardians of the Galaxy. What a bunch of a-holes. Doctor Strange. Heroes like the Avengers protect the world from physical dangers. We sorcerers safeguarded against all mystical threats. Spider-Man. Are you an Avenger? Yeah, basically. Inhumans. What are we? What if I told you there's a place where people have powers like us? The city of Adelaide. Black Panther. You're telling me that the king of a third world country runs around in a bulletproof pantsuit? And the Avengers. I have an army. We have a Hulk. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. And ain't good language. Listener discretion is advised. Gentlemen, you're up. Today we're discussing Avengers Infinity War, or as I like to call it, Lord of the Avengers, The Fellowship of the Stones, starring... Wait, wait, hold on, I'm going to go grab a coffee. I'm sure you'll still be going with this cast list when I get back. (laughs) Robert Downey Jr., Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo, Chris Evans, Scarlett Johansson, Benedict Cumberbatch, Don Cheadle, Tom Holland, Chadwick Boseman, Paul Bettany, Elizabeth Olsen, Anthony Mackie, Sebastian Stan, Tom Hiddleston, Idris Elba... Peter Dinklage, Benedict Wong, Palm Clementif, Karen Gillian, Dave Bautista, Zoe Saldana, featuring Vin Diesel as Groot, Bradley Cooper as Rocket, with Gwyneth Paltrow, with Benicio Del Toro, with Josh Brolin as Thanos, and Chris Pratt. (laughs) Chris Pratt needs a better manager, man. He is below Vin Diesel, who just says three words the whole film. But he's the and. The and is second to only to, like, second billing. But those are just the names on the poster. I actually actually think this may have set a record for most number of actors' names on a poster because this movie also has Letitia Wright, Dana Guerrera, Benedict Wong, Winston Duke, Kobe Smulder, Samuel L. Jackson, William Hurt, Rose Marquand, and Stan Lee! Directed by Anthony Russo and Joe Russo. This is the now-playing co-host who will always deep-fry your kebab, Arnie. And Stuart? And this is the host who is no dude. 
I'm a podcaster, a handsome, muscular podcaster. This is Jacob. I have to admit, Jacob, when we first met in person, I did think you were the son of a pirate who mated with an angel. <laughs> yes, I get that compliment often. Here it is, guys. Infinity War. Remember the early days when we thought we were just all building up to Avengers and that felt like a milestone? But what has been called and then mocked as the most ambitious crossover of all time? Ten years in the making, or at least seven, I don't think we knew about Infinity Stones until Captain America First Avenger, but they made a point in the fan event that you and I saw, Arnie, they had even a flashy little pre-movie documentary touting the fact that it has now been ten years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And you know what? They have a right to be proud. No matter what you might think about the individual installments, they started staring down the best superhero movie of all time. They started facing off against Dark Knight in 2008, and they have managed to build 18 installments of varying quality in varying genres and in humans. (laughs) And, you know, they have really pulled something amazing off. It is incredible. Yeah, it is tremendous to have a series where varying degrees of quality, but 18 films, not counting in humans, and 18 recommends from me. I haven't thought of any other series that hasn't had a truly bad installment. I did go back. I watched all 18 films in order leading up to this. I did not do a marathon. I had a friend who did the marathon down in Disney World in Orlando, and that just sounds like a nightmare. The air conditioning broke. That wasn't all of them, though, was it? No, it was only nine of the films, too. He says you can barely call it a marathon. Yeah, that's like when you have the half marathon sticker on your car. I'm not buying it, man. <laughs> 13.1 doesn't do shit. Yeah. <laughs> it was still two days. It was still smelly people were arguing with the staff that sounds like a nightmare (laughs) i felt it i mean having done marathons having started the marathon for ultron and having done the marathon for star wars i'm done i'm just could have physical feelings as he posted photos and status updates online about how people started to snore in the chairs and people were talking about leaving and coming back. I'm just like, no. There's an old 80s movie, I think it's called Dead End Drive-In or something, where basically a drive-in's used as a prison camp and it's full Mad Max. That's just what I'm imagining at this point (laughs) with these marathons. Stuart and I went to the fan event. I actually bought tickets for Marjorie and me and Marjorie had a work thing, so she couldn't go. So Stuart was your date. (laughs) Yeah, I was your date, and I thought I was going to get carded at the door. I thought I was going to be like, you're no fan. I'm the only one not wearing a Captain America t-shirt in the audience. (laughs) So we went to St. Louis because that was the nearest fan event. And I may have taken him toy shopping at the Disney store beforehand. (laughs) Oh, not just to like Target, but you had to go to the Disney store. That was uh, somewhat humbling, I suppose. Well, I haven't been in a Disney store in quite some time, but it told me that Arnie was really excited about the movie. But it has been a transformation in the 10 years for me as well. I started off as the hater. If you recall, it was like 40 films of Marvel comic book movies that were terrible before I even gave a recommend. (laughs) I'm definitely warm to the genre. I'm not entirely converted to Marvel style. I still do kind of feel like the designated driver at the Comic-Con kegger sometimes. (laughs) But, you know, I really liked what Robert Downey Jr. did in that first film. And he set the tone. While I still like the real world soft. Christopher Nolan, Dark Knight vibe better. I like movies that reflect our world more than create another world. I'm a fan-ish 
of Marvel <laughs> by this point, but I didn't go back. I did not go back and watch any of the films. You know, I feel like I just saw Black Panther. It was only a couple months ago. I was lucky Black Panther was still in theaters. I was able to go see that. I actually went to theaters Wednesday to see Black Panther before going to theaters Thursday for Infinity War. My opinions of some of the films have softened. There were some I haven't revisited like Ant-Man since we reviewed them. And Iron Man 3... I like it a little bit more than I did before. Spider-Man Homecoming, I like it a bit more than I did before. My opinion has not worsened on any of them. Thor The Dark World is still the pits, but (laughs) I enjoyed revisiting all 18 films. I did not revisit any of these, and I gotta say, like, over the years, I guess I've gone in the opposite trajectory as you, Stuart, but I'm like, oh, this Iron Man, who would have thought you could make a sexy superhero movie that women wanted to get into, and I was really into the early stuff and just blown away that they're able to pull this off, and then I just felt like, oh, it's more and more Disney, it's more and more committee, and so they're making fine films. But I wanted some more Winter Soldier, some more of that original Iron Man where I just felt like it was doing something different. And so 10 years later, 19 films in, can they bring some of that magic back with this huge crossover event? That's what I'm wondering. Well, I have to kind of argue against that, Jacob, because what I feel... 19 movies in is they've proven there isn't a superhero genre. We've had sci-fi movies. We've had Harry Potter movies. We've had action movies, dramas. When people who say they have superhero fatigue, I think superheroes are now a medium to tell a lot of different stories. I disagree. I feel most of them have very generic villains. Killmonger and Black Panther. There's some interesting things with him. Guardians 2, I thought had some interesting themes. But what I didn't like, what really bugged me about the Marvel films where I felt like, oh, they're a machine and Disney's got these stories down pat. There's a lot of stories, and I guess early on, I gotta admit that, but Chasing Rocks, and this film is all about Chasing Rocks. That's where some of my hesitation came in, and why I'm not sure what your hype level was for this, Arnie, but that had a lot of hesitation for me, because I'm like, oh, we're going back to the Magic Rock thing again that they've been building up for 10 years. Yeah, I even kind of forgot about that. I mean, that storyline seemed to go away in the last six or seven films. I wasn't thinking about Infinity Stones. My problem, if there is one, is that I have noticed that their leaning is more and more towards, since they know Robert Downey Jr. is expensive, how do we create new ones? And they now have this stable of middle-aged, self-absorbed, sarcastic stand-up comics who all <laughs> want to be Tony Stark, and they're all kind of samey to me. And as much as I love what Robert Downey did, I would like to see more variance in the hero's personality. It's why Cap remains my favorite, because he's the idealist. He doesn't go for the obvious jokes. He still can be funny, but he doesn't play it like a comic, and I appreciate it for that. But this is big. This is an insane thing. I have talked about this, I think, in the past. When Civil War came out, Anthony and Joe Russo, cool guys, they went to a Comic-Con, they didn't charge a thing, they signed autographs, and they talked with fans. They didn't just do the Stan Lee or the William Shatner of never looking up and signing their name. And they didn't have a huge line. They spent a couple minutes talking to fans. And we talked, Marjorie and I, to them about how she's Team Cap and I'm Team Iron Man. And they said, we're going to have a very interesting date night. And so I said, you guys are working on Avengers now, right? They're like, yeah, we're filming right now. I go, yeah, good luck. No pressure with that or anything. (laughs) I mean, the concept of bringing... 60-some-odd characters onto the screen together 
that's daunting. That is challenging to try to balance characters. And of course, you're going to have your lead characters and your supporting characters. But my hype was mainly around, can they pull it off? Avengers 1 was a master at it, balancing everybody, giving everybody an arc. Avengers 2, not so much. But how would this do it with double the heroes? I've seen them juggle a lot of cast members. I've seen a lot of movies that have done that at this point. Are you, you talking about Robert Altman? Because he's passed. He can't direct this. <laughs> yeah, I kind of was talking about him. But yeah, there are many movies that juggle dozens and dozens of characters. It can be done. I've seen it in all different ways. My curiosity was, is this storyline worth it? I, I turn to you, Jacob, since you are our comic book resident. You must know the Infinity War as it existed on the page. How much are they drawing from that? And what was that original all about? Oh, okay. That original one is crazy. They're taking the bare bones from that. The original Infinity Gauntlet, as it was called, there's a lot of backstory that I never read about Thanos going around, getting the gems. This is all crazy cosmic Marvel stuff out happening in outer space. But the crux of Infinity Gauntlet, which is being adapted here, is Thanos has his gloves. He's got all his rocks and he just wants to hook up with Lady Death. He just wants a boo. No. She's like ignoring him. And he's like, well, watch this. With the snap of the fingers, I could take out half the universe and they're going to join your ranks. Oh, wow. It's a romantic comedy? It is. That's the first <laughs> issue is him wiping out everyone. And all the remaining Marvel heroes get together to fight him. But it's mainly a Silver Surfer, Doctor Strange, and Adam Warlock story. Adam Warlock, who we saw in the cocoon in the end credit scene of Guardians 2. We haven't actually seen the character, but it's the three of them kind of orchestrating this huge battle against Thanos, who's got like zombie nebula walking around. It's weird. And then Adam Warlock just kind of convinces Thanos, hey, you know what? You always kind of self-sabotage yourself. I've seen your soul. You really don't want to rule everything. So why don't you just kind of give up? And that kind of works. And Thanos goes off to be a farmer, which I think we see in this movie. I think we get that scene, which I did not expect. But yeah, you talk about a big Marvel crossover. That story is about every surviving Marvel superhero coming into outer space to fight Thanos and him taking on everyone with his magic space glove. And that's the thing with comic book crossovers. They're hard to balance because you get like six issues of a crossover these days and they're the broad outlines of a story. If you want the character moments, you got to buy all the little spinoffs. You got to go get the Spider-Man comics if you want to really get the crux of what Spider-Man's going through or Doctor Strange or because if you just buy whatever crossover event, six issues, because they're trying to balance an entire universe of superheroes, you don't get all the character moments you might want. You'll get one or two, but they focus on the big picture here. So that was another question I had going into this. Can they focus on something so I feel like this is a story and not just a crossover event? I remember when Infinity Gauntlet crossover came out. It was 91, and that was my heavy comic collecting time. I had boxes and boxes of comics. I was reading them all, and my favorite comic event was Secret Wars. It came out in the 80s. I picked up the back issues and the trade paperbacks. All the big Marvel heroes and all the big Marvel villains got together on this planet for a big battle so that they could sell Mattel toys. I'm not even joking. That was the entire impetus. <laughs> no, that was like, let's change their costumes so we could push new toys. But it was a good story. It was a fun story. And... What I didn't realize was so unique about it, it was a self-contained story. And they did Secret Wars 2, and I didn't find it that good as the Beyonder in his disco pantsuit went around Earth. 
but Infinity Gauntlet felt like a new one happening during my time. These others were history. This was my collecting time, and I picked up Infinity Gauntlet, all the issues. I was lost. I had no clue what was going on because mm. I wasn't reading the cosmic comics. I knew who Silver Surfer was. I had no idea who Adam Warlock was. They brought in the other characters, but... I got all the issues of Infinity Gauntlet, and I couldn't follow it for the reason Jacob said, because I had to pick up all these issues. It turned out Infinity Gauntlet didn't even start with Infinity Gauntlet number one. It started months earlier in issues of Silver Surfer, where Thanos returned and started spreading his message of murderous eco-conservatism, and then it built into that, all written by Jim Starlin. So now, because of this movie, I'm going back and starting to read the issues with all all the interstitial stuff to see if it makes more sense and maybe i'll be done with all those hundred comics by avengers 4 but <laughs> thank you guys you have helped me realize i never want to read it but it would be helpful to recap because i didn't even go back and watch the movies where are all these stones i remember them popping up and being plot devices the first time we saw a stone was the tesseract and Captain America First Avenger, right? End of Thor, because remember Dr. Selvig is picked up by Nick Fury. Yes. He has the cube, says it's a source of power. Right. Loki's in the reflection. I guess that's worth a look. And that was a post-credit scene, though, right? Like, the first real movie to deal with Magic Rocks was First Avenger. Right, because... Hydra, Red Skull, he's using it to power all their weapons. They have all this super technology in 1940, 1941. That's all coming from a blue stone that we're going to learn is the space stone. Yeah, it's a blue cube. We never knew it was a stone until this movie. Back then, it was supposed to be a completely different Marvel relic, the Cosmic Cube. And now it's just a blue glowy cube with a stone in it. Right, a Tesseract, which is like an impossible cube device. Then the cube showed up again in Avengers with a second stone, the one in Loki's staff, where he touches your heart and takes you over. Right. That's the second stone, which in Age of Ultron was taken out of the scepter and put in Vision's forehead. Uh, okay, so that's the Mind Stone. So improbably, Thanos had one-sixth of the stones and said, here, Loki, take it to Earth. Well, I get that. Again, he's giving him a mind-controlling device. I mean, it looked badass. I mean, it changed my perception of Loki. I thought he looked really ridiculous in Thor. <laughs> and then he was a very credible villain, I think, when Avengers came around. So that he used a mind trick on me. <laughs> Here's my question, Arnie, since you watched all these recently. What was Thanos? I know he showed up in Avengers. There's a scene of him sitting on his floating throne. What was his purpose for invading New York and getting Loki? Loki was going to return with the Tesseract. And I think I said this before. It's like Superman 2. Zod will rule the Earth, but Lex gets Australia. So here, Thanos would rule the galaxy is how we saw it. Now we realize Thanos would kill half the galaxy, but Loki would rule the half the people left on Earth. Right. Basically, we don't know how Thanos got the Yellow Mind Stone, but that was the first one he had. He loaned it out into the scepter, and then that scepter ended up with Von Strucker in Ultron. That was the big battle at the beginning of the second Avengers movie, and it was used to create Scarlet Witch and her brother, as yes. I recall. And then Ultron used it to make a human cyber baby that became Vision. 
And then Thor came in from his bath and used lightning and brought Vision to life. Yeah, it's complicated there. Vision, we'll talk about him. But moving on with the stones, the next time we see a stone is Thor 2. The ether is melted down redstone. Yes. Why? Don't know. Okay. But yeah, it was the stone that made Natalie Portman unable to act. (laughs) (laughs) What's the name of that stone? (laughs) The reality stone. (laughs) Okay, so that is a reality. Yeah. (laughs) And the reality, basically you can warp it. So maybe that's why it's liquid is that it's not. It's in the solid state, but it makes you think that it's in liquid. Who knows? That really was the worst Marvel Cinematic Universe movie if you don't count in humans. And then Guardians, the purple stone, the power stone. Yes, that was the orb that... Remember, the Ravagers were trying to take, it's the opening scene, it's the MacGuffin for the entire movie with Ronan, which is the next time we saw Thanos. We thought we'd see Thanos in Avengers 2, there was no sign of Thanos. Thanos showed up here because he was Ronan's boss, he was the father of Nebula and Gamora, and sent Gamora to go get the stone for Ronan so that Ronan could give the stone back to Thanos and then Ronan goes rogue. Not that that wasn't confusing, but here's where it gets confusing for me. In the end of Thor 2, there was a scene of some Asgardians bringing the Collector the Aether, the Redstone. So the Collector has the Redstone, the purple one that's in Guardians that the Collector is a part of. He never gets that stone. It ends up with Glenn Close. Yes, on Xandar, yeah. And to clarify, the reason the Asgardians took it is because they said it's too dangerous to keep two Infinity Stones together. They had the Tesseract back right after Avengers 1. That's right. They also had an Infinity Gauntlet with all the stones in it in their vault, which Hela revealed to be fake in Ragnarok. Okay, I remember you guys making that joke and not understanding. Now I get it. Okay, so fifth one is Doctor Strange... He wears a necklace called the Eye of Agamotto, and that actually controls time. We saw him do that a little with that giant creature at the end of the movie. Dormammu, I've come to bargain. Yeah. And then I was racking my brain right before the movie started. I'm like, well, where's the sixth one? And you pointed out something that I thought was really intriguing. There's one we don't know where the whereabouts are. That's what it's going to be all about is how do we get the orange soul stone? And will I sing like Lou Rawls if I should acquire it? That's what I want to (laughs) know. I didn't realize these Uber fans were really into these stones. After I saw the film, just doing online research, like, found all these crazy theories before the film came out. This is where the Soul Stone, Captain America actually has the Soul Stone. And that's why in the trailer, you could see him actually facing off against Thanos. Like, there's all kinds of crazy theories out there about where is this Soul Stone. The craziest theory is that the stone's location spells Thanos. Oh, no. (laughs) Because... T for Tesseract, A for Ether, O for Orb, S for Scepter. When asked, the writers were like, yeah, no, they're really just stretching on that one because the N was supposed to be N for Necklace where the time gem was. Mm, Okay. (laughs) Whatever. I mean, it's fun to come up with theories. I'm not like this plot device. Each time that we're fighting over this MacGuffin, it feels like, okay, it's a box of liquid. Okay, it's a amulet. Those things weren't very intriguing in their individual movies. And I don't really like the idea of someone getting magic because he has some jewelry. But now that we finally have it all laid out and we're finally going to be able to see what bringing them all together could do, I am intrigued. And the one thing I knew about this movie, spoiler free, I knew almost nothing. I knew that they were promising to tell us the backstory for this Thanos, which I think is the one thing they could reveal. With all of the other characters, you're not going to be able to get deep with them. But with Thanos, we need to get deep. We need to know him. I went in pretty blank. The only thing I knew, and I thought this was interesting... (laughs) 
was these two movies were made at the same time, Lord of the Rings style, and the budget for the two movies was, and let me do my best Dr. Evil voice, one billion dollars. Oh my God. Well, they'll make that back this weekend, so <laughs> no problem. <laughs> oh, wow. For real, though? A billion dollars for two movies? Uh-huh. That blows any previous movie out of the water. Not by much. I mean, if you split it in half, that's $500 million a movie, which is only $70 million more than one of the Pirates of the Caribbean's. Remember, that one was $430 million. Wow. $500 million a movie feels like a record to me, but... I think the real record is going to Robert Downey Jr.'s agent, because he makes 20% of that. Two hundred million dollars to Robert Downey Jr. Wow. So he makes more than what most films cost. Okay. Yeah. Here's what the breakdown was. 400 million was spent on people, actors, screenwriters, and crew. And Robert Downey Jr. was 50% of all the people. And then 600 million was on sets, effects, and actually making the films. For a movie with that big a budget, the effects work isn't up to that. This isn't the most cutting edge special effects. And in fact, Some shots even looked a little unfinished. There were a couple shots I didn't like, but I think this has some groundbreaking effects. Wow, I would never use the word groundbreaking. But yeah, I did take you to that fan event. I was that excited for it to see what a billion dollars can buy. I then saw it twice more the next day. I went to see it at noon, and then because there was an IMAX projector problem, I literally walked out of the 1230 showing in regular 2D and right into the IMAX showing. Let me say, if you see this movie at all, IMAX 2D. There was so much detail I didn't notice on the smaller theatrical screens, and the 3D in this, it sucked and hurt my eyes. I did see more when I didn't have the 3D glasses on. I did see it twice. The Thursday event was in Real D and a very nice theater, nice experience. But the actual viewing of the movie was better for me when I didn't have 3D glasses. Yeah, I just went to a normal showing. Preview night, totally sold out, which should be no surprise. Like every viewing was sold out. Yeah, I had a real hard time getting tickets, which is part of the reason I had to go right into the IMAX after the 2D regular. The only other movie I have ever walked out of a showing of and walked right back into a showing of is the phantom menace and no matter what i think of this movie i'll say it holds up better on immediate viewings than the phantom menace (laughs) yeah i don't know that's a comparison you want to be making well let's make some comparisons let's get into it this is a big movie already given the plot we'll get through infinity war josh brolin is thanos an alien from the planet titan His planet had become overpopulated and was on the verge of ruin, so Thanos suggested a solution. A lottery in which half the population would die. He was considered mad, but in the end his people were mostly wiped out due to resource constraints and overpopulation. Thanos now wants to save the rest of the universe from that fate by destroying half of all life. To do this, he needs to get the six Infinity Stones. We've seen five of these powerful ingots throughout the Marvel films and have been told they were created at the Big Bang. Thanos realizes if he can gather all these stones, he no longer has to do the work manually going planet to planet and killing people. He can snap his fingers and wipe out half the beings in all of existence. To harness the stones, Thanos wears a glove called the Infinity Gauntlet that is some nice bling to carry glowing rocks on. Before the movie starts, we're told Thanos went to Xandar, the planet ruled by Glenn Close in the first Guardians film, and ravaged that planet to steal the Power Stone that the Guardians of the Galaxy left there back in the first film. When Infinity War starts, we see Thanos has boarded Thor's ship. 
The one that contained all surviving Asgardians, plus Korg and Valkyrie and Hulk. But now, there's a lot less Asgardians as the only passengers we see left alive are Heimdall, Thor, Loki, and Hulk. Thanos puts the smackdown on Hulk, then kills Heimdall for using his magic to save Hulk at the last second, sending him back to Earth. And Thanos kills Loki to get the Tesseract that Loki pickpocketed right before Asgard was destroyed. Inside the Tesseract is the Space Gem, two down, four to go. Thanos then sends four of his, quote, children, unquote, to Earth, where two Infinity Gems are located. The first is in the Eye of Agamotto, the mystical amulet of Doctor Strange. To get that, Thanos sends Ebony Maw and Cull Obsidian. Fortunately, Hulk, now turned into Bruce Banner, was transported to Doctor Strange's New York Sanctum, so Strange gets help from Iron Man and Spider-Man. Big fight, Strange is captured by Ebony Maw, but Iron Man and Spider-Man stow away on the spaceship. They succeed in killing Maw by throwing him out into space, but the ship continues to autopilot to the dead planet Titan, where they're joined by some of the Guardians of the Galaxy. That rogue band of spacefarers responded to the distress call from the Asgardian ship. They arrive to find nothing but dead bodies, and Thor, who they revive and tells them what happened. Thor goes with Rocket Raccoon and an adolescent Groot to the planet Nidevelir, where Thor finds Eitri, the giant dwarf king played by Peter Dinklage, who, after some machinations, gives Thor an axe that's capable of killing Thanos. But Mantis, Drax, Star-Lord, and Gamora go to find the Collector, who, back in Thor the Dark World, was given the Aether, which is also the Reality Stone. But Thanos is there, having killed the Collector. Three stones down, three to go. Plus, Thanos kidnaps his daughter, Gamora. Star-Lord, Drax, and Mantis arrive on Titan to rescue Gamora, and they team up with the Avengers who are already there, and together the six almost succeed in getting the gauntlet off the Titan, until Star-Lord screws it up due to his anger when he discovers Thanos killed Gamora. Gamora was the only person in the galaxy who knew the location of the Soul Stone, which is the only one we haven't seen yet, but to get it, Thanos had to sacrifice someone he loved, and the only being in the universe he truly loved was his adoptive daughter Gamora, and he throws her to death to get that stone. Four down, two to go. Thanks to Star-Lord's outburst, Thanos regains the upper hand and impales Iron Man, so Doctor Strange offers Thanos a deal. Strange will give Thanos the Time Stone if he spares Stark's life. With five stones in his possession, Thanos goes to Earth himself. And remember, I said there were two stones on Earth. The second was the Mind Stone. Originally in Loki's staff, as we said, it was put in the forehead of the android Vision, who wants his girlfriend Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, to use her magic to destroy the Mind Stone, killing Vision but preventing the stone from going to Thanos. Wanda initially refused, and aided by Captain America, Black Widow, Falcon, War Machine, and Bruce Banner, who for some reason can't transform into the Hulk anymore, they fly Vision to Wakanda to be under the protection of the Black Panther. Their cap is reunited with Bucky, the Winter Soldier, who's now weirdly called the White Wolf. Shuri thinks she can extract the stone from Vision and still keep him alive, but it will take some time, time they don't have. Thanos' three remaining children, Cull Obsidian, Proxima Midnight, and Corvus Glaive, lead an alien army in a massive attack on Wakanda. All three of those children are killed, but they succeed in delaying the gem's extraction, and when Thanos arrives, he kills Vision, pulling the gem out of his head. Thor, Rocket, and Groot show up, and Thor gets a good hit in with that magic axe, but it's not enough to kill Thanos now that he has all six stones. Thanos snaps his fingers, and half the universe just dissolves into ash, including... Bucky, Black Panther, Groot, Scarlet Witch, Falcon, Mantis, Drax, Doctor Strange, 
and most prolonged Spider-Man. <laughs> His work done, Thanos goes to an unnamed planet to watch the sunrise as credits roll. But in a post-credit scene, we see Maria Hill and Nick Fury also turn to dust, but not before Fury could send out a distress signal to Captain Marvel. So with all of that, I spent a lot of that plot summary just listing off where characters were. Is there any hope for somebody coming in? This is their first Marvel movie. Ten years, they've avoided it, but this one, they've heard the hype. Is there any hope in hell of them keeping up? Yeah, I would say adults can come in and understand that a lot of exciting things are happening with weird characters. I think if this is a child's first Marvel movie, for lots of reasons, this is a heartbreaker and don't do it. <laughs> but so many characters come in and if you don't understand their backgrounds, I mean, would you know what Wakanda is and why this guy wears a cat suit and runs really fast? Does it matter? I mean, Wakanda is a future city, and so they have force fields. That's all you need to know. I mean, have you never come into a TV show in the middle of its run? I mean, I've seen Sopranos and Game of Thrones in mid-seasons late in their arc. And no, you don't ever understand every nuance, but you understand relationships. You understand a basic plot. I think this is a relatively simple story about collecting jewels. Yeah, you're not going to understand some plot elements like, why does Tony Stark have a flip phone with Captain America's phone number on it? Because my brother texted me asking about that because he's only seen a few of those Marvel films. But for the most part, the big picture you're going to get. Here's my question to start this off. As I'm thinking about this movie as a whole, and Stuart, you'd said you want the Thanos story. This is about who he is. Who is the protagonist of this film? And I get that it's an ensemble piece, but I need protagonist for my emotional core here. Who is the protagonist of Infinity War? In my opinion, it is Thanos, but unfortunately, we don't get his entire story here because this is really one of those irritating part one, part two movies. We don't get the whole movie. My preference would be to sit in the theater another hour and get the entire thing, but no, we got to wait a year and then get a four hour movie then. I agree, Stuart. Thanos is the center of this film, and I feel like with a few little adjustments here and there, this could have been more or less a self-contained Thanos story. He has a goal at the beginning, and he accomplishes it at the end. But we're told a lot of things about him. Like, we'll get into it. He loves Gamora. I just don't know why. But I wanted some kind of center here. I felt like this could have been almost a Scarlet Witch vision story. There is some emotional moments at the end, but really, who wants that movie? Yeah, they haven't been built up enough to earn it. They've just been kind of background characters in two movies so far. I do think, though, this is a self-contained story in one regard. It follows a journey from beginning to end, and that journey is Thanos' journey. I guess, technically, he is a protagonist, but he's not a protagonist who's sympathetic. We're not on his side. We're on the side of all of the opposition, but there's so much opposition, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of personal story time there. Yeah, and if this was a more conventional story structure, Thanos, whether he's a good or bad guy, if he's the protagonist, he's the core of it. You're centering scenes around him, and that's not necessarily what happens throughout this film, because you're right. People want to see Captain America and Iron Man and Spider-Man, and they're the good guys, so we got to put lots of them in this. 
we do get him at the beginning. He is the first person I notice. He's always staring off into the distance. They later will frame him in a pagoda. Here he's at the window looking in space. He is boarded that as guardian ship. We saw this as the stinger to Ragnarok, I believe, that these poor guys, they like escape jail, like fighting each other to the death and get away from Jeff Goldblum and then go to Asgard and save everyone before that planet blows up only to just end up a pile <laughs> of bodies here on the floor of this ship. They do say later that only half of the Asgardians died. Yeah, where are the other half? When the Guardians show up, that other half isn't there. I was looking for Korg. I'm like, is Taika Waititi, did he put the suit back on? Is Korg still alive? I was looking forward, especially after the rewatch. I thought Korg and Valkyrie would be there. No, they're, and I'm guessing if they ever make another Thor movie, those are in the half that lived. Yeah, I wasn't really thinking about them, but that's in part, they're totally humorous characters. And this is a movie that while definitely will throw in lots of one-liners, they want to keep that audience engaged. Their story, really, this movie is about failure. Everyone here will fail Everyone here will lose. And so all of these cuteness is really undercut by that bitter core. And Thanos says that right at the beginning. It's just the theme of the movie. He says to Thor, who's lying on the ground, broken and defeated, I know what it's like to lose, to feel so desperately that you're right, but to fail nonetheless. Yeah. And he has... This one was a surprise to me. He already has one stone. It's a line of dialogue that comes much later that, yeah, he raided Xandar and got it from Glenn Close. But this is the power stone, which I essentially means it, he can just blast you really good. He still needs that ship to fly around. He wants the Tesseract because once he has the blue stone, he can teleport around space. And so that's really what he's here for. If the quest is to go and collect each stone, which I did not expect, he only has one at the beginning here, like you said, he's going to go around and get each one. Is there a lesson learned? What are you gaining from each of these quests? I feel like in this film, you could start here, he gets that Tesseract, you could have him have all the stones except the mind and the time stone, and okay, we'll get to Earth. It's weird, I feel like this is a prequel almost, like we're going to go around and show him collecting all the stones. Make those the teasers at the end of the other movies before. I don't know if I need all this kind of backstory, I want more character stuff about Thanos, I want to know, why is he such an eco-warrior? We get that in this movie though. Yeah, we're told something, but I want to feel it. If Thanos is the protagonist here, and I don't mind them doing that with the villain, that was part of the intrigue with Suicide Squad, is we're going to make the bad guys the ones you're rooting for. Yeah, do that. Show me that he is sympathetic. I would love for Marvel, to, after all my criticism about how horrible their villains are, I would love them to be able to pull off a sympathetic villain for a film. I definitely think if they weren't doing this in two parts, if they had to make compromise, if they didn't have a billion dollar budget, <laughs> they would have just had him collect all of the stones except the two that are on Earth. He would get them in very quick succession if he didn't have them already, because Earth is obviously where people are going to be most invested and where most of the heroes are. But one thing that I appreciate upon second viewing, he really does use their individual powers each time he gets that. You will see sometimes the effect is purple, sometimes it is blue, but they very much designate when he is using an individual stone on the gauntlet. Yeah, I noticed the stone will light up depending on the power he uses, and I do like that little detail. But, man, we get the stakes right away. Heimdall is there, Idris Elba. We've always wondered how an actor, although his career seems to have peaked and then slowed down in the duration of him playing this character, but he's always had more to do in the Thor sequels than the original because he is an actor of note now, and... 
I guess now he doesn't have to deal with contracts anymore because he's impaled when we see him. He's got that Dark Tower franchise to cash in on. (laughs) Yeah, everyone has got to lose someone. And for Thor, it's a double whammy here. We think that he might go. You know, he already lost his eye and he's just completely conked out on the floor here at the start of this. But no, he has to watch. He says it's his best friend. I think it's his doorman. But yeah, Heimdall gets speared in the stomach. And then I guess he does like his brother now. After all of this back and forth of you're my enemy and not. Gonna lose him too. I wasn't sure if his best friend might have been one of the Warriors 3. They got stabbed through the heart by Hela. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so we don't know he meant Heimdall necessarily. All of his friends got stabbed through the heart. Right. But usually everyone gets one moment to do something cool. I appreciate that about the Russos is they're like, we're not going to just have people be body count. Heimdall gets one cool move when Hulk bursts out and fails to beat Thanos. No surprise. With Loki saying, we got a Hulk, using that line used against him in the Avengers. I was surprised, though, to see Hulk go down like a bitch. I think, you know, we're not going to see Hulk the rest of the time. Well, that's to show you how strong Thanos is. Oh, yeah. You know what I thought of is prison rules. If you ever go to prison they say pick a fight with the biggest (laughs) baddest guy there even if you go down you're going to get respect for having done that fight we know hulk is the biggest baddest guy so the way we are shown thanos is powerful we're not just told he takes out the hulk easily the children think about stepping in the big one call obsidian almost steps in and ebony maw says no let him have his fun thanos takes out the biggest guy in the prison yard we now know he is a true badass Right. But Heimdall doesn't just die here on the floor. He uses the last bit of magic he's got and sends him back to Earth. And that's a long time coming. I forget this, but it's part of the fun of this movie. What little fun there is, is that Banner has to catch up on all the things that have been going on since Ultron. And we forget he missed all of Civil War. He has no idea about all the rifts and all of that. But yeah, Hulk is going away and Loki is just getting his neck broken. Vader style picked up. I saw it coming, but... Heimdall's death, I was like, okay, I kind of like Heimdall, I like Idris Elba, but okay, I love Tom Hiddleston as Loki. He's never been as good as he was in the first Avengers film, but he was really fun in Ragnarok. He's one of my favorite characters. I know his story might feel pretty played out, his contract is probably played out, but I still felt loss when I see his eyes turn red, and I knew what was coming, though. The moment he pulls that knife, I thought at the beginning, because he's pledging loyalty to Thanos, I thought he might be Thanos's bitch, or he might infiltrate Thanos and betray him later. I think he made a dumb move by trying to stab Thanos immediately, and he pays for it. I do like the line. He says, you'll never be a god. Again, if you can get some cool one-liners in here, you're going to win me over a little bit. And Thanos says no resurrections this time, because how many times has Loki died? There is a time stone, though. I agree. We'll talk about the machination by which all of the death in this movie can be undone, but I'm willing to bet both these deaths stick. The ones that we see here, they're not coming back. I believe any that occur before all six stones are gathered are permanent. That's my guess. At any rate... Yes, uh, he uses his purple power to destroy the Asgardian ship and the blue stone to teleport back to his own ship. That's probably what he did with half of the Asgardians that he spared, was he just blue stoned them off somewhere. So don't worry, Thor 4, we can have that cute little bug guy. (laughs) He didn't have the blue stone yet. 
No, but he did at that moment. Okay, We've yeah. seen him call people. He has, you stand on one side of the line, you stand on the other, we whack you, the other ones are just kind of standing there. They probably got teleported off when the ship explodes. I don't think anyone's thinking Thor is dead yet. I mean, he was in the trailers. We know he's coming back. He can survive a ship exploding. But it does set the tone. This is going to be a heavy movie, heavy casualties, and it is about failure. Our heroes will fail more than they will succeed. But this moves pretty quick for all the various stories. The writers, and I've been tempted in the past to credit the Russos, but Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, these are the ones who wrote this. They've written every Captain America film since the first Avenger. They did a rewrite on Thor The Dark World, and they also don't think it's that great. (laughs) They did this one, and they've really talked about how they worked on the pairings and things. I think that they have really good pacing on this, and the way that they've streamlined this into about five character stories. We've got five different plots going on, and this is why I called it a Lord of the Rings parallel, is because I really do feel, especially in the later Lord of the Rings films where they split up and they have their various journeys and their various battles, but all trying to stop Sauron. And they're also really good about taking us places through characters. There's only a couple times when we jump and we are introduced to characters we hadn't seen before. As you mentioned, Banner goes to Earth, and he's the one who's going to take us to Doctor Strange and Wong. (laughs) Yeah, and this is straight out of that Infinity Gauntlet comic, except it was with Silver Surfer. He gets struck down and crashes into the Sanctum Santorum and is like flipping out that Thanos is coming, and they do that again here, but with Bruce Banner instead. You know, I still haven't warmed to Cumberbatch. Doctor Strange (laughs) remains... You still dislike him for that film. (laughs) It remains disappointing. I mean, I haven't gone back to watch it, but when I think about it, the missed opportunity of it, it is the one that hurts me the most. When I think about the 18 films, it's the one I go, man, that's just not what I wanted. Tony's gonna call him like a kid party magician. You know, he does play like a too old Harry Potter. That wasn't the way I wanted it, but I really do appreciate the fact that the screenwriters pair him with Tony and it's like watching the understudy fight with the lead star about who's actually going to take over this series. The writers talked about that. They were a little worried they weren't going to put those two together at first because they thought it was too much of the same energy. You know what they used as inspiration? The TV series Frasier. The way you had the uptight nerdy brother and then the even more uptight nerdy one, they thought that was an interesting way to go versus the odd couple of opposites. And so that's why they have Doctor Strange and Tony Stark together the whole film. And see, in my references, showgirls, I'm just like, oh, he's <laughs> just like Elizabeth Berkeley pushing him down the stairs. Frasier to showgirls. References I did not expect <laughs> during this film. <laughs> I like Cumberbatch in this movie more than I did in the Doctor Strange solo film. He, like Ant-Man in Civil War, works better as a supporting player than he does perhaps as the film star. But I feel like this is, hey, Robert Downey Jr. is going away because we can't pay him $200 million for every film. So Cumberbatch, here's our new Iron Man. I mean, even with Tony Stark, I feel like they're writing him out. We're going to get a scene with him and Pepper Potts at the beginning. He's like, oh, I had a dream. We're going to have a baby. So I'm like, oh, that's going to be his out. She's going to get pregnant. He's like, can't save the world anymore. I got to raise this kid. Question, is that a comic book character? I always, whenever sidelines are made about references to people. Morgan? Is there a Morgan in the Marvel Universe? Yeah, it's Morgan Stark. It's like an evil cousin of Tony Stark's, but it's not his child. I'm going to, as we go through, predict the future. I know nothing about part four. 
I don't think Tony Stark's going to retire. I think Tony Stark's going to die, and he will have left a bit of himself in Pepper Potts. His spirit will live on through a child, but Spider-Man's going to get some seriously cool tech here. I think Spider-Man 2 will be Spider-Man having to make it on his own when his mentor's no longer around to give him armor suits. Yeah, I think it's very telling. We didn't have the Uncle Ben storyline in Homecoming. They're saving that for Tony and Peter. That's really when you're going to get that play out. The mentor will die at some point. I won't predict what film, but yeah, it will be soon if it costs $100 million to put... 200, uh, 200. 200, but that was for two films, right? Yeah. Okay, so $100 million of film. <laughs> a bargain price to get Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, it could be next year, but I do think we are going to see that. But Tony will always live on in a Ben and Jerry's flavor. I do like <laughs> stark raving hazelnut. I like Hulka Hulka burning fudge. <laughs> there are plenty of jokes here. You can forget that upon first viewing because they always have patter, but what's going on is so serious-minded. But they really are trying to stay in the Marvel Universe and not do DC and not get too dour. This is about the dour I've ever seen the Marvel Universe, and yet it still feels very playful. The lines are great. When Banner can't hulk out when the two children attack New York, dude, you're embarrassing me in front of the wizards. I mean, it's saying what we say, right? I mean, kind of talking about the cloak, you are one loyal piece of outerwear. There are some of the greatest one-liners here. And it's the stuff fanboy dreams are made of, is what would Rocket Raccoon say to Winter Soldier? Oh, I'm going to get that arm. You know, (laughs) that was the joke ever since Winter Soldier, the movie came out. This is very funny stuff. All three times I've seen this, audiences were cracking up. Yeah, if you are afraid that this one is too dark, it probably is for the wee ones, but it's Marvel and not DC. But yeah, failure. We have these two children of Thanos coming to Earth. They're coming to the Sanctum to collect the necklace. And yeah, the first failure, Hulk can't be Hulk. Banner just can't be angry anymore. My take wasn't that he couldn't be angry. It's that the Hulk is afraid, which I think is an interesting development. He is scared of Thanos and doesn't want to come out and have to fight these guys again. It's a nice reversal of the standard storyline. I mean, Stuart, you mentioned when we did all the Hulk films, you're tired of Banner not wanting to be the Hulk. It's just played out. We want him to be the Hulk. Here they've reversed it, and I can't even recall a comic line that's done this, not that I've read every Hulk comic, but here he is trying so desperately to Hulk out like we want him to do. Hulk isn't going to do it. They kind of tease why, but I take it as Hulk has probably never lost before. And now that he's lost, either he's afraid or just moping or something. But Hulk, he tries to Hulk out and Hulk shows up twice in this movie just to say, no, I wondered if this wasn't a riff on like erectile dysfunction. You know, (laughs) Mark Ruffalo is of that age. I'm not accusing him of using the blue pill, but you know what I mean? It might just be a way of talking to an aging audience about what happens in middle age of when you can't do it anymore. But yes, this will be his conflict is how can he still be a superhero if he doesn't have that inner green guy coming out like he used to. And I think that is interesting. During this battle, you talk about the Hulk, maybe it's a metaphor for impotence. I feel like Tony Stark, he's the opposite. He's very virile here. You know, it's not an arc reactor in his chest at this point, but it's got that nanotechnology. The same thing that like Black Panther uses now. He just, he's got a suit in his necklace and like they just come out. He's got to keep up. Yeah. (laughs) Tony Stark cannot look obsolete. And I did wonder when I saw the trailers and the still images, I'm like, 
why does Stark have an arc reactor again? They address that. They're like, I know I had the surgery, but there's nano parts in here. I want to stay protected. Yeah, and I think that's part of the theme. That nano stuff was a huge failure in Iron Man 3. Extremis and all of that, you would think he would never go near it. Their message is ultimately that failure is what breeds new development, that you have to lose in order to win. And I think we see that. Yeah, he has a, the best Iron Man suit he's ever had, in part because he's had so many iterations that have failed and gone wrong, and little detail, but I love it. See, I, I don't love it. On one side, it's like, oh, it's so super powerful, but he still gets defeated. That's how strong these guys are. But I just feel like we get a lot of overpowering here with this suit. He's got cannons coming out of it, and his feet are molding together to make a rocket, and don't get me started on Spider-Man's iron suit. It's what you see in crossovers, though. That I guess this is what the comic book fans want in these crossovers, is just crazy new powers and crazy new development. I just feel like, oh, here's a new hot toy for someone to buy. And I did buy that toy, and I'm very happy about it. I know. It, but I didn't want to call you out. <laughs> I think the drama here comes from Pepper Potts when we see them jogging in Central Park. The 30 seconds she's on screen? <laughs> I know. There's not a lot of time for characters here. But you got to work it in where you can. The character relationships that matter are the characters with each other. Stark with Strange and figuring out what that dynamic is going to be. I do like this fight here. We have Ebony Maw, who looks like an old guy. I had to look up a reference. I'm feeling old myself because Stark calls Ebony Maw Squidward. And I saw this movie three times and I finally had to Google what Squidward was. And yeah, I don't know SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that either. But I just kept calling him Voldemort in my notes. They don't name these people. They don't give names. I mean, maybe briefly, but that was my irritant trying to take notes during this movie. So it just became Voldemort Green Goblin, Chick with a Spear, and Evil Hulk. <laughs> but the way Doctor Strange is able to clear the streets of civilians using his power, and Tony's finally impressed. He's no longer going to make balloon animal jokes after he sees what Strange can do. And Ebony Maw is telekinetic. He seems like he's really proud of that. Scarlet Witch is telekinetic too, dude. But he's like, I am the most powerful of all of Thanos' children because I can levitate stuff. Yeah, he has this fetish for wrapping people in metal. We saw him do it to Thor back on the ship. And here he's going to wrap Strange up in rebar and just beam him up to the ship. They come in these giant donut ships. And the idea is that if he can't get the necklace off, there's been a spell that's been cast that's simple but powerful, unbreakable even. They have to take the whole guy. And so they just beam him up to space. And that means this crew is leaving. They're splitting up. That banner is going to stay on the ground, unhulk. And Wong is going to stay because he's not a big enough star. And we're going to have Strange as a captive, Spidey hanging on by his webs, and Iron Man flying up with a new suit for Spider-Man. Spider-Man, you've seen the scene on the bus. His spider sense goes off. He sees the donut ship in the sky. He jumps out of the side of the bus to go help. Where we get our obligatory Stan Lee cameo. Gotta have it in there. Get it out of the way because ultimately it's kind of like Alfred Hitchcock. If you wait too late that people have been spending more time looking for him and then paying attention to the movie. Now we can pay attention to the rest of the movie because we know where Stan Lee is. Plus it would cut the tension to have Stan show up during one of the big dramatic scenes. But I like the double meaning of when Stan Lee says haven't you kids ever seen a spaceship before? Because he's so old. Of course he remembers the Battle of New York. I think my favorite joke was when Spider-Man tells his friend, hey create a diversion so I could sneak out of the bus. And the kid's just like, hey guys look, a spaceship. Literally the thing that you think 
you divert them from. He's like, no, just look at that. And everyone jumps over to look and Spider-Man sneaks out. <laughs> I can't even tell if that was Ned's plan or if Ned just went on autopilot. <laughs> no, that's the joke of it is like the distraction is just Ned freaking out because Ned freaks out. And <laughs> he was a fun character in Homecoming. It's nice that they threw him in here. We don't need a movie with built around him, but they're all coming back. It's just a nice touch on of that Homecoming movie that came out last summer. But Spider-Man in space, is there a history of this in the comics? Did he go to space often? Not often, but he's gone everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he did go in Secret Wars. That's how he got his Venom suit. We'll be talking about Venom later this year. They unlocked the 17A, the new Spider-Man suit, which is pretty badass. I mean, it's got legs that pop out and do cool stuff. This is straight out of Civil War, the comic. Iron Man makes him a suit. It's called the Iron Spider, and it's got those robot legs. Yeah, the robot legs really work here. I've always found the robot legs creepy in art, but here I see their use, and this is perhaps my favorite Spider-Man outfit of all time. The way it has the gold around the spider, it's kind of a callback because the Iron Spider outfit was gold and red instead of red and blue. It's just a gorgeous looking outfit, and it overpowers Spider-Man, but you need to overpower your characters, to Jacob's point, when you're going against the most powerful villain of all time. You need to power up in order to stand against that, so he gets this Iron Spider suit that is... Just incredible. And the way he's able to stow aboard now because that suit allows him to breathe in space and not die. He's in an Iron Man suit, essentially. But when is a callback too much? When do you use something again because it was such a hit last time and you shouldn't? My feeling is he shouldn't remember that old movie Aliens. <laughs> that was such a fun line in Civil War. But to do it again, is he just every time going to draw from John Hughes and Footloose? Yes. That's Peter Parker's thing. He does the quips. And I guess the way to do quips in this day and age is to do references. I guess. It has nothing to do with what I feel about aliens or not. It's just... I don't want to see him get out of every dangerous situation with a movie reference from the 80s. Yeah, the problem is he's playing too young to get all these 70s, 80s quips. No, he's a nerd, and until he had spider powers, he probably just sat home and watched TCM all the time and saw these movies. He's a real cinephile, is what you're saying. Yeah, he, <laughs> he built the giant Death Star with Ned. He's a movie guy. He's a sci-fi guy. And thank God they're out there because they're listening to our show and supporting us. I appreciate that a young audience still wants to hear people talk about old movies but i guess it's kind of clever rather than fight this impossible wizard because all it is is tony and spidey and a cape the cape boy i hate that sentient <laughs> cape that feels like a Disney movie. It, that's not jiving with me, but I guess it's funny and people take their laughs where they can in this movie. And so they restage the alien queen being blown out of the airlock by just punching a hole and sucking Voldemort out to his death. And I don't mind the cloak in this movie. It was... A bit annoying in Doctor Strange. It did feel like Aladdin's carpet. But here, I feel it's used just right. The moments that bug me are they, like, they blow this hole and then Iron Man just has magic ice or something that shoots out. I want some kind of ground. What are the rules here? It's just not magic suit does everything. There are a lot of climaxes atop climaxes in this. There is less to chew on as far as what the movie is about. And there's far more set pieces and getting people in and letting them riff and be the lovable character that the fans want to see them be. And that just means it's overstuffed with too many Jenga piles is what it feels like. Everyone's building a Jenga pile until they all topple. 
this movie is the most ambitious crossover of all time in that you have real people, actors of name, who will appear basically in the background. It's easy to do if you're drawing a comic to have characters in the background as tell the artist, hey, put these characters there. It costs them nothing. It's more expensive when you say, hey, bring in Anthony Mackie, Sebastian Stan, and Don Cheadle to stand in the background. I don't know how expensive they are. <laughs> well, they're no Robert Downey Jr., but certain characters have their drama as we go on here, and I think there's two sets of characters that really do that. Here, I feel a little bit strange because Doctor Strange and Iron Man are going to have philosophical debates, but yet I don't feel like either of them really has much emotional storyline so much as we're fighting and we're really tense about fighting. There is one dramatic piece that works its a motif that works its way through all the characters here between Stark and strange it's the idea of destroying something in order to protect the greater mass killing one to save us all stark is keeps harassing strange why don't you destroy your amulet and strange is like no i'm sworn to protect it and says i will actually protect it over you guys since stark is insisting that they go take the fight to wherever they're headed. They're headed, ultimately we'll find out it's Thanos' home world, and Stark doesn't want to turn the ship around, so that means they're essentially bringing not just the fight, but they're bringing the stone to Thanos as well. He does tell Doctor Strange, and I think he says it sarcastically, he goes, nice moral compass, but I actually think Strange is in the right. And we're going to have the same argument with Vision and Scarlet Witch. When you're dealing with half the beings in all of existence, in the universe, all of existence, half the people are going to die. If it's one person versus half the population, it's kind of the would you go back and kill Hitler as a baby thing, because would you kill a baby to save the life of a million people? Here, I think Doctor Strange is right. If it keeps Thanos away from the stone to let you die, that's the right thing to do. If it keeps Thanos away from the Mind Stone to kill Vision, come on, do we really care about Vision anyway? And is it just me or does Paul Bettany look kind of weird in this movie without makeup on? Maybe he just looks weird because he doesn't look weird. You know, we're so used to the <laughs> Mr. Body look that when we see him in Scotland, it takes a moment to realize, hey, what's off about this guy? He has a headache. It's not that he has a gem in his head. It's that the rest of him is in purple and green and yellow. Yeah, the gem is speaking to him. It's giving him a warning that two of Thanos' children are coming, but he and Wanda are off on a tryst. It was kind of hinted at in Civil War when he was making Pepper Cash. Here, the two of them have been sneaking away together, because lest we forget, Vision is an Avenger who's on the righteous side of the law. Scarlet Witch is a fugitive on the wrong side of the law, but they've been getting together for nooners. Yeah, and that was something I had to be reminded about, that there was that civil war. Earlier on, we see Tony, he doesn't know where Captain America is, but he's got a flip phone with his number there, and that's going to come back here when Banner picked up that phone and calls Captain America. But I had to be reminded, oh yeah, they are still broke up from that film. Indeed, I do think that this whole movie is leading us to the way that those two characters are going to make amends and truly end their beef, is that they've got to lose in order to come together. Something really terrible has to happen, and so it's this movie. And it's another situation of, okay, so this guy has the stone in his head, 
and Thanos can't get that stone, and Scarlet Witch, conveniently, kind of a plot contrivance, but it allows them to have this debate. She's the only one that has the power on her own to destroy that stone. So will she destroy what she loves, like many characters that are put in this position, will she destroy what she loves in order to save everyone else? Here, it's just a debate about will they separate on a train or will they stay together? That's when Chick with a Spear and Green Goblin show up. Speaking of Chick with a Spear, or as my action figure is known, Proxima Midnight, after reviewing the Final Fantasy movie last week, does she not look like an extra from one of the later Final Fantasy games with her sword (laughs) and her eye makeup? I was shocked that this is Carrie Coon, an actress I have fallen in love with recently. She was the star of season three of Fargo. She is the moral center of the Leftover series. She does great dramatic work. That was Carrie Coon in that makeup? Yes! They completely waste her here. I cannot believe that Carrie Coon has to do Final Fantasy cosplay, but that's what she's asked to do. And you know what? They are never going to put another pedestrian in danger again, are they? (laughs) After Batman v Superman? Nope. New York's empty. Scotland's empty. Ain't no one around in these cities. (laughs) There's no one anywhere. I just love it when these big fights break out and there's just no collateral damage ever. We're not having that debate. I just love that online, Scott are really, really happy because of the prominent we will deep fry your kebab sign. I saw that sign in the movie. I'm like, why why is that sitting there in the background? And yeah, I did look that up. I guess they love deep frying their stuff. Go to Texas. Go to the state fairs. They deep fry everything. I'm going to have to try that. Really? They deep fry kebabs? Yes, that's a big Scottish delicacy. I will be in England soon. So that is exciting. (laughs) I'm more excited about that than I am this fight. I do have climax-itis. There are so many big battles to a point that I do get really numb when we just have one on top of the other. Here, I will say this much. Never been a big fan of Vision, and although I like Elizabeth Olsen, this witch chick doesn't do anything for me. (laughs) But what few moments they get together are pretty tender. They do sell us that they love one another, and for their sake, I want them to succeed. Elizabeth Olsen is the best she's ever been in this role. She also really downplayed that accent. And I think the more she downplays that accent, it's less and less each movie, the better she's able to act. I didn't like her when she was from Transylvania. Yeah, I forgot she was supposed to have that accent. The Halle Berry mentality. You just, you're not South African. The further you get away from that first film. <laughs> Ashley Olsen is no storm. How dare you, sir? That She's much better than that. The problem is it's an underserved role. Mm. I don't think Scarlet Witch and Vision could ever handle their own solo movie, but Elizabeth Olsen is a really good actress here because she makes me believe in her love for Vision. And when I saw it in IMAX and saw her tears and saw her lip quivering at times, she's really selling this emotion she needs to because... We don't care really about these characters other than they look cool and have cool powers and perhaps, again, are overpowered for what the Marvel Universe has been. Yeah, she's capable of more. And you know who I don't really care about in this film? What happened to Cap? Cap gets this ultra dramatic entrance. I mean, the silhouette. Catching the spear in the air. Yeah, they're trying, but surprisingly, he is muted in this movie. I was surprised at how little I care about Cap in this film. That Scarlet Witch and Vision have a much bigger storyline than he does is a shocker. He gets the most lines of any of the supporting characters, but when I said there were five stories, Vision and Scarlet Witch are the story we're going to follow that from now on, Bruce Banner, War Machine, Falcon, and Black Widow, and eventually... 
Black Panther and Winter Soldier are going to be hangers on to. Don't you mean Blonde Widow? Scarlet changed her hair. Yeah, they're all in disguise, right? Captain America's got the beard. Scarlett Johansson's gone blonde because I guess they're on the bad side of the law. They're being hunted, supposedly. But Anthony Mackie looks just fine. <laughs> no one ever recognizes Anthony Mackie. Because it's Anthony Mackie. <laughs> <laughs> I still like the guy, but Falcon is a sea stringer. The point is that they come in and they're the ones that spear this Green Goblin looking dude, which I've heard he is the husband of Proxima. I read this online when I researched their names, that they were actually a husband and wife team. They're newer characters. They were introduced like in the past few years in Infinity War comics or something. I don't know them. I mean, obviously they have to get together. No one else looks like them. Who else are you going to date when you look like this? But they beam back to their donut. They go away in defeat. And Cap says, I'm going home. Home to him is upstate New York Avengers new headquarters. I was surprised. I think by home, he means going back to the Avengers headquarters, trying to get the team back together. That's a surprise that he would consider that. I guess I just felt like he was so rogue. The fact that he was ready for that in that moment, is it earned? He sent Tony that phone and said, if you need me, I'll show up. The phone rang. He went back to Avengers headquarters. I think he needed to be invited. And I was shocked to hell that they got William Hurt in here for a cameo. (laughs) And I'm so happy they did. He's still, because of the Accords, in charge of the Avengers. Of course, the only Avenger there is War Machine. Well, and there's a lot of little details. Again, if you haven't watched all these films, they're not going to mean anything to you. But yeah, War Machine, he's got like cybernetic braces on his legs because he did get that injury during Civil War from the Vision. John Tito looks roughed up. I mean, I think it's right for the role. I think he probably chose not to go to the gym, but he looks thin. He looks tired. He looks old. Yeah, you forget, or I forgot, that he really took a hard fall in that Civil War and barely survived. So we don't know how he's going to take to seeing Cap. But yeah, he just swipes William Hurt away like a bad tender. (laughs) Yeah, I thought he swiped left. (laughs) And speaking of swiping left... Banner and Natasha, Hulk and Black Widow, they get like an awkward hello and nothing. Yeah, they share a look. That's it. I was really interested in their relationship. In Civil War, we get Tony asking Natasha about Hulk. In Ragnarok, Hulk turns into Banner finally when he sees Black Widow on the screen. There's a unrequited thing going on there that I feel... They have to have had a conversation. They hang out for how long? I realize it's like end of the world time, but... You're in the wrong movie. If you want relationships, you got Gamora and Thanos or Vision and Scarlet Witch. That is it. That's all they got time for in this film, for relationship drama. I don't think there's any way they won't be able to address it next year. At any rate, Rhodey's okay with it. He's like, you can stay and happy to have the reunion. No animosity with him and Vision? I think he'd be the one saying, yeah, let's rip that jewel out of that asshole's head. The debate of this movie is, should we just kill Vision? Is Vision anything? If you take away his gym, how do we handle the fact that Thanos is all-powerful and is coming for this item that we have in our possession? Vision wants to give up his life for it. He is willing to make the sacrifice. He's emotional. He's not like Data from Star Trek or anything, but he's computer enough to know that it's logical. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. But Banner is like, 
wait, you're part Ultron, you're part Stark, you're part me, you're part Jarvis. Maybe we can remove that stone and you'll still be alive. But the only person smart enough to do it is the 16-year-old Shuri in Wakanda. Yeah, they're going to say that to the end. They say Wakanda for the climax. I think that's wise, but it's the debate. And we've seen characters make that. I mean, Cap is kind of a hypocrite because he did sacrifice himself for others. And now he's like, he won't let Vision make that same self-sacrifice. But again, that's because maybe they don't have to do it. You don't want to obviously commit suicide if there's another way to get the gym out in this case. If we can get the gym out of you and you still live, that's what we need to find. So that's an interesting variation on this debate the dramatic theme of this movie. I guess it's time to get to outer space where we're going to see the other half of the characters have this debate, the Guardians of the Galaxy. In case you were wondering, James Gunn was consulted and he did pick Rubber Band Man. He gave them a few choices. He had a list of songs that were on an awesome mix somewhere that we haven't yet heard. And the Russos chose Rubber Band Man, which is a great song. I love that song. It is so jarring, though. And look, I had to sit through all these credits. There's only two songs listed for the soundtrack. There's a score, of course, going through. Rubber Band Man was there, but it is so jarring because like, oh, yeah, this is what a Guardian film is like because we're not going to get this for the rest of the two and a half hours just this rock song it is good though to put us in the guardians vibe we need to come into the guardians where they live and it would feel weird not to do it the same way iron man showed up in avengers one blaring some acdc shoot to thrill and we haven't heard acdc since they'd be better if there was more acdc yeah i agree but i think this was needed to get us in the guardians vibe and we haven't seen them since last year groot's an adolescent now and he's just being rude and playing an old 80s defenders game it's like kids today won't look up from their cell phones, except they don't have cell phones. They have this Cosmic Defender uh, handheld video game. But That's a real thing. I remember playing that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure it was in Quill's backpack. And they are still bandits. The point is they're answering the distress call. Gamora would like to believe it's for altruistic reasons, but Peter and Drax are more up for like, we'll either get paid for that or we'll take the guy's ship. I'm so glad. You know what the Guardians needed. When I watched that first Guardians movie, I go, you know what's missing? Deanna Troy with antennas. We need Deanna Troy in this mix. And they have it now with Mantis. This whole movie, he feels anxious. He feels mourning. If this is all they can do with that character, she shouldn't survive part four. (laughs) To quote the Deadpool 2 trailer, now that's just lazy writing. Again, make me feel something. (laughs) Don't have a character that can just tell me how everyone feels. Yeah, but we need someone to wake up Thor because he smashes into their windshield. There is not a ship to take. It is the debris of the Asgardian ship and Thor is revived and needs their shuttle to go looking for his weapon again. This is the funniest part of the movie. The Guardians always bring humor with them, but when they're kind of making fun of Star-Lord for putting on some weight, I mean, let's not forget, I just watched for the first time Parks and Rec. Oh, he was a chubby guy. Yeah, he was a chubby guy who lost the weight for the Star-Lord role, so when they're kind of making fun of him not being as muscular and Drax is like, you are a dude. 
this is a man. Big laughs all the time. It is a lot of humor. It's a lot of Guardians humor. I won the record controversially as not loving it as much as everyone else on the planet. But it is right to set the tone for them. I mean, I do feel like I am now in their realm. And it was smart to keep them mostly in space, I think. It feels jarring to me. Like, people are dying. This is bad for Earth. And then, hey, we're going to go and make jokes with Drax and do all that Guardian stuff. It feels like you're in a different movie. They throw a lot of jokes at the wall. Rabbit instead of Rocket. And my preference is that they throw less but it's not the Guardian style. So we have the Guardian style here that we're here in space and we're going to split them up Rabbit is going to go with Groot and Thor off to have one adventure, and then the others are going to go and try and get the Redstone. And Thor's adventure is the one area of this movie I feel could be cut. Okay, thank you! We could just have them disappear and show back up with the axe. Nothing they do. Not that it's not a little bit fun, but... It's not interesting, and it's fixed way too easily. This is the equivalent of Casino Planet in Last Jedi. I don't need the side quest. You could cut 20 minutes or however long they spend doing all that out of this film. I would have no questions if Thor just showed up on Earth with this giant axe. I guess I'd lose the emotional impact that Groot made the handle. I guess that's his heroic moment in this film. Yes, that's exactly what it comes down to, is how are we going to get Groot out of his ugly teenage stage? At what point is he going to care about others? I love he has the Peter Brady voice, though. Like, when he starts off, he's a little, I am Groot, but later it's, I am Groot! (laughs) He is totally adolescent with that all over the map. I'll tell you what I'm not loving. I don't watch Game of Thrones. So everyone tells me Peter Dinklage is amazing. Amazing. But this, I just keep thinking about Fraggle Rock. (laughs) Stuart, it's funny because he's a little person and they think they're going to a planet with dwarfs, but he's giant and bigger than everyone. I agree. And, you know, they gave Star-Lord hell for mocking Thor in that fake voice, but Peter Dinklage is doing it too. Everything about his performance here, it's just awkward and unnecessary. And yeah, all of this histrionics about how are we going to get this dying star running. It makes sense Thanos would destroy a foundry after he's made his gauntlet and so they have to get it going it's just another jenga tower too far you built it on top of three other ones and i don't want to watch you stack the bricks i think peter dinklage is good i like him as the giant dwarf i wish his character was put to better use but it's like you must start the dying star so thor just goes out there and does it and then oh this broke. Thor's like, I'll hold it open. It will kill you. Yeah, this master weapon maker, he doesn't even have the handle ready for this axe. Yeah, they have always struggled to give Thor something to do. His, I mean, he took a bath in Avengers 2, you know, they just <laughs> always struggled to find his component, and it is, yet again, not for lack of Chris Hemsworth trying, I do think, you know, he's good here, both when he's mourning people he's lost, and when he's doing the funny stuff with getting the new eye that's the wrong color, and wiggling around in his head. He is giving it his all but every time this is on screen i want it off my only problem with it i don't feel any of the heroics thor does to get this axe are challenging he just does it all but i do like thor and rocket's banter and that emotional scene with hemsworth i didn't even notice tears coming out of his eyes till i saw the imax one do they come out of both eyes he only had one eye during that scene okay (laughs) i imagine he still has a tear duct but i don't know it came out of the eye that wasn't patched so I thought he sold that emotion really well. I also love the scene with Gamora where he's like, families, huh? 
Yeah. <laughs> but I wouldn't trade Hemsworth's performance in this movie for anything. I'd give him something better to do. I'd give him and Dinklage something better to do. Like, you have to go fight somebody for this axe instead of just hold open this iris that's going to burn you. Yes, all three movies, it's gotten a laugh when Peter Dinklage says, it will kill you. And he goes, only if I die. And Dinklage is like, that's the definition of killing you. Always gets a laugh. But man, he just holds it open and is done. It's lame. Well, what it does is it, and he's dying and suddenly now this axe is going to save his life. And that shows that Groot is going to finally care about somebody else and save a life. Here's the other thing with this scene. The whole point of Thor Ragnarok is, you know, it's Dumbo. You don't need the feather to fly. You don't need Mjolnir to draw lightning. That's the whole point of that film. It's the lightning's within you. But no, now you do need a super dead star weapon to kill the bad guy. Thor doesn't need it to be powerful, but Thor alone is not enough to kill Thanos. He needs a Thanos killing weapon. He killed a god, his sister. Yeah, but Thanos is more. I felt like Thor had lost something when he lost his hammer. I like that he gets Stormbreaker here. I think it's a nice iteration of that and that it is a weapon that can be a danger to Thanos. Here's what tricked me. The first time watching the movie, I didn't know if it would be self-contained or not. Remember, initially, this was going to be called Infinity War Part 1. Right. Next year's was Infinity War Part 2. The Russos came in and they changed that. They said the next film wouldn't be an Infinity War film. The next film would be somewhat connected, but not part two. Kind of think that's a lie right now. They're liars. Just like they put the Hulk running around in Wakanda in those trailers. They're lying all over the place to keep secrets. I think there's stuff that changed. I think that there was stuff in pre-production that they showed to toy makers and put in trailers that they changed at the last minute in post-production. But watching this movie at the end with the climax, I think Thanos could die. I think this could be the method of doing it. I think part four might not be about Thanos. You really thought that? I really thought that. I'd never had that thought. The Russos conned me and I fell for it. Well, one thing I did know was Thanos was going to get all the stones. The fact that the other Guardians are going to go back to nowhere and try to stop him from getting the Red Reality Stone, we know is a mission that they are going to lose. And it's more interesting because it's going to bring daughter. Gamora is a favorite adopter child, she's going to have to see him again. Gamora is the emotional heart for the first half of this movie. And I think that that's a really interesting choice. Here is emotion coming from her. We get the funny Guardians at first, but once Rocket and Thor go away, she has her touching moment. Keep in mind, years have passed. If you remember the timeline, the second Guardians film is only six months after the first Guardians film. So now, since Guardians 2, about two and a half years have passed, and... Peter Quill and Gamora are in a long-term relationship, and now she's asking him, will you kill me? I will agree on paper that this is Gamora and Thanos. Like, that father-daughter relationship is probably the strongest emotional core. They definitely want to sell us that. We'll get some flashbacks, and it's cute seeing little Gamora holding the finger of Thanos as he walks her down to shelter her from her people getting killed. And one of the only two bad CGI effects in my mind, her trying to take that Thanos finger, the hand kind of goes into the finger, and when Thanos picks up Loki by the neck, it's like the hand doesn't go around the neck. Those are the only two times the CGI is a little weak. But why does 
Gamora love him? And why does Thanos love her? That's the backstory I need is what is their relationship? And that would have drawn me in more for what's going to happen later on between those two. I had that problem the first time I watched it for sure. And the second time I watched it, I realized they're saving that. There is a whole lot about what we don't understand about Thanos still to come. There's a whole lot of backstory about him that they are saving that we will know. I mean, what is said here that's intriguing is that at one point she was fighting alongside him. And I take it to mean that she agreed with him. Yeah. I don't think we're going to find out anything more about Gamora next film. But we see him when he got Gamora as a child. And I think it is a touching scene the way he distracts her from the death of half her people. No, I love those little moments. And I don't know what they did with Josh Brolin, if they had all the dots on his face. But there are certain facial expressions that they Thanos does. I'm like, wow, that's some really good animation. That is. When I said there were groundbreaking effects, it's 100% in Brolin's performance that comes through on CGI. I can't believe how well I see him emote. And a scene coming up in just a few minutes we'll talk about is the pinnacle of what I'm meaning. But... What I take it as is he had all these children he trained, but she was his favorite. She was the only one he actually cared about, which is why she doesn't have cybernetic parts the way Nebula is all robot. This one, he actually loved. She had promise. He connected with her. And we knew in Guardians, at the beginning of Guardians, when she was working for Ronin, she did what Thanos told her to do for decades. It was only with the Infinity Stones. Only when Thanos sent her to get an Infinity Stone did she go, I can't do this. This is too much. And so I think that relationship was somewhat established in the first Guardians, completely established here, and why she cries when they get to nowhere and she thinks she killed him. I can understand conflicted family emotions. I also did read something, and I don't know if this was in the comics, I thought it was going to be in this movie, that Thanos' wife was one of the Titans who died when he lost his planet, and that he was trying to stop people from dying the way his wife did. If that's a spoiler, it's something that was put out in an interview... It wasn't in this movie. Again, there was also not a Hulk busting out of Iron Man armor in this movie, so maybe things were cut or things changed. But I get this emotionality. I like the scene where he gets the reality stone. We get Benicio Del Toro here back as the collector. This is the most ambitious crossover in cinematic history. It's not getting all these characters together. There's something I saw in the credits. They credited, you know, oh, we got permission to use this Arrested Development footage. I don't remember seeing an Arrested Development clip. Here's what it is. I had to look this up. Apparently, Tobias Funky, as a never nude, is in one of the collector's cases. I didn't see it, but I went online afterwards because I wanted to find out. I know the Russo brothers directed some episodes of that show. They had the stair car in Civil War at the airport. So this is the most ambitious crossover, the Arrested Development Marvel Universe. Yeah, it's it when he's in the Blue Man group paint also. And so, yeah, the Collector needed a never-nude in his collection. But the Collector, is he dead? We never see him die. I guess he's dead if Benicio doesn't want to return or nobody has a use for him. But if they want to bring him back, he could be alive. He's part of the hologram, right? Why would he want to return? This is the worst role of his career, what he's done in this. <laughs> but... He there is talk about him and Goldblum because they're brothers. So there was always talk about getting those two together, the Collector and the Grandmaster. I hope Grandmaster shows up in the next Avengers film trying to get revenge on Thanos for <laughs> killing his brother. I would love to 
see those two play off of each other in Thor 4 or something. But here, it's iffy on if Tivan survived or died. His collection's gone, and as a collector, I know it's going to be hard to rebuild from that. <laughs> You're dead as soon as your collection is taken from you. Well, that's cynical, but again, I don't miss... Benicio in this movie. I assume that he's dead. A lot of times when they kill characters, they don't want to see the actual bloodletting. I think the fact that he was under the foot meant that that probably did happen, but this is warped reality. We will see it stripped away by the red stone. He already has it. They can't collect it. And now Peter's got to make good. Peter Quill, I should say. There's two Peters now. But Quill has to make good on the promise he made, Gamora. And we have yet an, again another character that needs to kill something he loves in order to save the greater good. And Thanos is like, do it. Do it. Pushing Gamora towards the gun. Of course, I knew Thanos had the reality stone. I figured I knew where this was going to go. I wasn't expecting it to blow bubbles, but maybe Hasbro's going to sell that toy. <laughs> Not only that, but now he can relate to this guy because he's very lonely. You got to think. Thanos feels like the most lonely person in the world because he can see what must be done and everyone else doesn't have the will to do it. So now that he finally sees somebody that also will make the same choice he does, when he says, I like this kid, that's why he leaves him alive. Yeah, I agree. Although he doesn't choose to save him at the end, but... If this was a Thanos film, if he was actually the protagonist, show him as this war-weary warlord going planet to planet, just like, ah, I just got to kill to save everything. Next film. I want it now. I need something. Second half of this film. (laughs) No, it's coming in the next film. There are big chunks missing. I agree with Jacob's frustration. And the second time I saw it, the more I realized that you just have to accept that this is a part one and that this has the frustration that every story that's divided into movie parts does it just isn't complete but it is coming and that's again why i felt lord of the rings too especially in certain times i was feeling two towers where yes certain arcs conclude here but this movie doesn't stand alone well you're definitely thinking two towers because we're gonna get two towers on vormir gamora and this is sort of my frustration with her because she was willing to die to hide the secret she burned the map she did all of this stuff but the sister that she was willing to almost kill just a movie ago but patched things up now that she's being tortured she's going to say okay i'll tell you where it is and this is the second time that's been done remember loki gave up the tesseract because thanos was torturing thor so sibling torture is apparently his go-to yeah it apparently works but it makes me like gamora less that she would do this it makes me like her less also that she won't tell quill what her secret is but she told nebula i know where the soul stone is i mean he just pulls it right from nebula's brain When were they gossiping with one another? I thought they hated each other. But at the end of two, they do have that goodbye, but that conversation isn't in it. Or it could have been something from when they were friends when Gamora was a bad guy. I didn't worry about that. Worrying about it, I'm not. But I'm just saying, because they want to have motifs and themes replay, sometimes they can try the events a little too much to make them play out again. And here's one where I'm like, eh, I'm not totally buying this. She takes him there 
And this was the biggest shock to me in the entire movie. Yes. They brought back the Red Skull. <laughs> what the hell? I think I said back in the first Avenger, oh, he's not dead. The Tesseract took him somewhere. He could show back up at some point. But I wasn't expecting him to show up here. Kind of, he looks like death in the comic before you see that she's a lady. Like, they mess with you if you're familiar with that graphic novel. They couldn't get Hugo Weaving back. No, that is not his voice. I noticed that. Hugo Weaving had been on the record saying he didn't like working on the film. He said he was contractually obligated but he hoped Marvel wouldn't force him to do a role he didn't want. So they got Ross Marquand to do this role, who's from Walking Dead. But under that makeup, I didn't notice. I, in the movie, thought it was Hugo Weaving. You're right. The voice isn't quite there when I saw it the second time. But I'm glad they brought him back. You know, these writers were going to bring him back for Winter Soldier. It was the Russos who said, you know, you're really doing a more grounded story than this. Let's not have the Red Skull at the end. So we knew the writers were thinking, since they wrote that first movie, where did Red Skull go? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense that now he's the Guardian of the Soul Stone, but... It's nice to know what happened to him. And we need him to kill Captain America in the movie next year. <laughs> I guarantee it. I'll lay money on it. But this is the big emotional moment for Thanos is he has to kill something he loves in order to get the soul stone, a soul for a soul. So why we've never seen it in the movie. I instantly knew. I'm like, he's going to kill Gamora. I can't decide if they're setting something up for movie four or if they were just making a parallel here. But when Vision is wanting to die earlier, Cap says to him, we don't trade lives. And then that's a line Vision will quote back to Cap at the end. Here, Thanos is trading lives right there, right? He's going to throw Gamora off in order to get that stone. Yeah, that's the difference between the good guys and bad guys. Bad guys will trade lives. And Gamora goes the other way. He loves nothing. You are completely screwed. You'll never have the soul stone. I think Gamora's death is permanent. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think it's wrong. I think he does love the gauntlet more than Gamora. But this is a burden. If you think of Thanos, as we have for most of these movies, as being an evil person that wants to kill and control the universe... We are now seeing the opposite. He is someone that had to not have relationships and make tough choices about killing people because he did love, because he loved so much, because he wanted life to succeed. But why, though? That is what we don't get. Maybe next year we'll get that. We will get it for sure next year. There's a line in this movie, I am waiting for it, that he will say to Benedict Cumberbatch that makes me go, okay, there's a huge arc there. What's the line? I ignore my destiny once. I cannot do that again, like even for Gamora, and shoves her off. That, to me, if he did it once, it meant that there was a moment of self-doubt. There was a moment where he was going world to world, and he stopped. And again, she was side by side doing it with him. They realized together that what they were doing is possibly wrong, and he took a step away from this mission. Oh, no, I take it as before he ever had Gamora, he didn't save his people. He was trying to convince his people to kill half of themselves. They didn't, and he just stood by and watched them fall to ruin. And now he has to do it and never stop. Yeah, we'll see that moment later on in the film when 
he goes back to the planet Titan to face off against Iron Man and them. It's a burden, though. He doesn't want to kill people like he revels in their death. He feels he's doing the right thing. And again, how many times are we going to hit this plot point? We hit it with Valentine and Kingsman, the Secret Service. The act of creation is an act of destruction. I mean, that is something artists deal with all the time. And so you have to have consequences. You have to realize what it's worth. And they don't say it here. I think we see its power at the end, but... The soul stone, that is what it can do, right? It can raise life. It can take life and it can raise life. And the only way you can wield that is if you get rid of something you love. This is the stone that kills everyone at the end. Mm, it's all the stones. He needs all of them to do that. Well, yes. Yeah. I mean, he needed the other powers to exacerbate it. But the soul stone is about claiming soul. But at no point does Thanos wave his glove and someone's dead. I think he does it a few times. Like when Drax attacks him and Drax falls into cubes. I'm like, oh my God, they killed Drax. He's just a bunch of blocks. Yeah, but he's not really dead. Yeah. That is the reality stone. He made a surreal thing happen that once he went away, that power went away and he was fine. So that was a reality. He didn't have the soul stone then. And again, it's important to realize this guy doesn't want to walk around killing people or certain individuals. He wants all of that to be up to chance. When they happen, it's not that he chooses. He's not playing God. That's the most important thing to understand about Thanos. He is not picking who wins and loses. He wants it to be totally random, but he knows that in order for us to flourish, he doesn't trust Darwinism and evolution to do it himself. Something has to cause death in order for things to create. And so he has chosen to be that vessel. He's an artist, is essentially the way I see it. But when he has the soul stone, he never waves his hand and has his attackers die either. He right. throws things at them. He knocks them out. But I don't really know what the soul stone does for him. I'm telling you, that's what it is. You can see it in the end. That's a big one in th that comic. So I'm guessing that's going to come back and there's going to be a big revelation with that. It's the one that takes life because when it happens at the end, it, the pagoda is orange. And after he gets the soul stone, I found this to be an interesting artistic choice. He wakes up in a pool of water with the soul stone in his hand. It's definitely a rebirth. You know, water is equated with feminism and birth and... Yeah, just back. Baptism and rebirth, mm -hmm. yeah. So the fact that he made the choice to kill Gamora, to kill what he loves, he is coming out of that a different man than he went into it. I also feel like they used 9-11 imagery here, too. Those pillars. I couldn't help but thinking, like, why are they referencing the World Trade Center? Am I putting that in there? And then I thought, loss, of course, rebirth. That was huge. America is an entirely different country right now because of that happening. So this is part of their larger theme about what it takes to recreate yourself. Even later on, they're going to have an aircraft crash into a building. Yeah. I thought it was completely a reference. But Thanos then goes back to Titan and we've had the Guardians meet the Avengers or at least two Avengers and Doctor Strange. Yeah, I do love the way they realize that Peter Quill is a human because he references Jesus. Yeah, and Missouri, which got a big cheer in uh, our St. Louis audience. <laughs> yeah, I did. 
<laughs> you want to see, like we've always said, the heroes fight the heroes. Here it's over a misunderstanding to see Star-Lord go against Tony Stark, who I thought might have been Star-Lord's dad when that first Guardians movie came out, because God knows he's got some of that swagger. So now you've got three people in the same room with similar vibes. Star-Lord is a bit more of the Tony Stark sarcastic side. And he's got quips like Peter Parker. Doctor Strange is more of the egotistical side. Yeah, and again, I'm someone that would prefer one of these <laughs> characters. And maybe not every movie. So it's a little overwhelming, but I recognize that this is just where I'm going to be the designated driver. And the people that really get drunk on the Marvel Universe are going to love, love, love all of this stuff. This movie is not one to take moments. When moments happen, it's with Thanos. But... When Peter Quill goes, I'm half human, so the 50% of me that's an idiot, that's 100% of you. Tony Stark just stops. And the longer he just stares at Quill, the louder my audience has laughed every time. Meanwhile, Doctor Strange is doing something actually useful. <laughs> he is taking that necklace. He is looking at 14,605 possible futures and sees the one that they need to take. This is what's telling me the following fight doesn't matter. This is all planned because he's going to say there's one way to win. And they're not going to tell us what the plan is, but I figure that's what they're going to go with. Well, I think you tell us through inference. Obviously, this was a guy that very proudly said, I will protect this stone over all of your lives. If it comes down to it, I'm protecting the stone. When Thanos arrives here and he makes that choice to give it up, it tells me the only future in which they win involves Tony Stark. If Tony has to be there, if he's killed in this moment, they will not win. They have this big fight and... They almost get the glove. They could have won right here if Star-Lord wasn't an idiot. Or was that the plan? Like, I don't know how much of this is planned out. I don't think they've figured out, like, every move they're going to make. But were they really trying to get the glove off and that didn't work? Then they go with Doctor Strange's plan. What happens, happens. So if he went to the future, I imagine there is no reality in which Star-Lord could find out the love of his life is dead and he doesn't lose his shit. And I find it very ironic slash hypocritical when Tony Stark is getting the glove off and is like, don't do it, Peter. Don't punch him in the face. What did you do when you found out Winter Soldier killed your dad? And that was 20 <laughs> years ago. All the fight scenes throughout this film. Are they good? Because I'm expecting this is where this film should excel. And we're seeing this big battle right here with Thanos and Iron Man and Spider-Man and all them. This doesn't surpass the one in Civil War. I'll say that I really like moments in the fight. I like the team-ups of when Spider-Man is coming in of a portal. And he's like, magic! And then he comes into a different portal. More magic! Magic kick! I like that moment. I like when Peter Quill shows up, puts a bomb on Thanos' back, gives him the finger and jumps through a portal. The team-up moves are really making me have fun. And I don't know a lot of these powers from the comic. This is just seeing movie characters team up in unexpected ways. I feel the battle at the end is as epic as the one in Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. But each of these is exciting because I don't know what's going to happen. I'm truly, this is one where I go in. Every superhero movie, I feel like I'm walking out going, I know the good guy is going to win and the good guy is going to live. This is the first movie Marvel's done that has stakes because I know some people will die and I don't know whether or not this is going to continue to part four. So I'm on the edge of my seat during these fights. I feel there's more stakes here than I ever have before. And I think they look good too. 
I love him bringing down the moon. They did that in the Akira comic. And I was like one of the best things ever of my childhood was like that moment of like <laughs> the destruction of the moon and bringing it down and what it did to the tides and all that. I always wanted to see that. So this is like a mini version of it. That was kind of fun. In general, this is an exhausting movie for someone like me who is looking for intellectual debates and is not really captivated by action in general. I like that to work ideas out. I don't necessarily like to watch action for action's sake. And this movie is ruled by that instinct. I mean, there is so much. That's all this movie is. Yes. And so, yes, it's tiring. If the editor was more judicious, more of these moments would sing because we wouldn't be so exhausted. When the action came, we would find it exhilarating. But because the action is continuously coming at us, we become numb. The other thing is the camera work in this movie, and it really hurt me on 3D. They do a lot of shaky cam. Now, I think this actually has to be done in post, like digitally. It's all post, yeah. Because this is the first movie ever shot from beginning to end in IMAX. Nolan almost did it, but here it is. And I don't think you can lift an IMAX camera and run around with it. I think you'd need a Hulk to carry the IMAX camera on his shoulder. So I think this is all fake, but they in real world, do these whip pans and the shaky cam. And so even in 2D, there are times when the digital projector went blurry, where the action on the screen is so fast that even on the IMAX, the projector wasn't able to keep up 100%. And so, yeah, I think at times it's actually hard to see what's going on on the screen. And if you can't see, it may make you feel like part of the action that the camera's shaking and that it's whipping around like your head would if you were really there. But it also is difficult to be invested when you don't know what you're able to see. So the reason why this world is in wreckage is because he didn't intervene here. Because he didn't commit genocide with half the people. They did destroy it themselves. This is like a Krypton situation, except they didn't send out a Superman to go to Earth. Thanos didn't kill half of his people. He just let them destroy themselves, or maybe he left while they destroyed themselves. But I do like the fact that he kind of bonds with... Tony Stark in this moment. He recognizes him as another calculating individual. He's like, we're both cursed with knowledge, is how he calls it. Yeah, but there's something else there. I mean, Stark goes, you know who I am. Why does he know who Stark is? He doesn't know who any of these other people are. Remember Stark at the end of Avengers? He went to space. He saw where the Jatari were coming from. And then Iron Man 3, I said this. I'm like, oh, this feels like it's going to come back at some point with this post-traumatic thing. And he's got like voices in his head. I feel like there is some connection made and, and it's playing out now. He even says in this film, I've had this guy in my head for the last six years. I thought it was PTSD during the previous movies. And now I realize it is some kind of weird mind melt. Oh, I took it as the PTSD. I thought the Russos have done the perfect thing because in Iron Man 3, the PTSD was poorly acted and not really followed through. In Age of Ultron, the whole I want to put a shield around the world and the fact that he was in armor again after blowing them all up in Iron Man 3 didn't make a whole lot of sense. In Civil War, they retconned it a little bit by saying, you know, he just couldn't get out of the action. And here, it's finally all coming to fruition. The vision he had in Age of Ultron where everybody's dead but him 
him, but I didn't take it as he's psychically linked to Thanos, but I think there's something Thanos knows about him that we will find out in the next movie. Could be, although we're thinking this is one of the big deaths. I mean, the audience goes in expecting at least the savvy ones the first night audience the ones that's the fan event i'm seeing with they're expecting some major heroes to go down the ones the next time boy are they surprised and that becomes part of the entertainment i'm turning to watch my theater (laughs) when we get towards this climax because they have no idea what's about to hit them but i thought in this moment and most people probably believe this is robert downey jr's goodbye to the part he sits down skewered by his own sword we see that thanos respects him and that he's going to spare half of humanity in hopes that that half will even remember him. He identifies in the same way of how lonely it is to know a truth you have to pursue that may be unpopular, but needs to be done. And I like the way Tony attacks, using the best armor he's ever had. And Thanos is like, all that for a single drop of blood. I mean, he hammered Thanos. And he did do more than the Hulk did. I mean, the Hulk didn't get the drop of blood. That is a badass moment that, yes, it's showing you how tough Thanos is. But it's also showing you Tony Stark's not that bad either. He was actually able to get a drop of blood out of this guy. That's like making Superman bleed. I agree. They both come out of this looking good, and I genuinely think there's respect on Thanos' side watching him die and his promise to him that he's not going to let humanity die. You're not dying in vain. This is all so that actually humanity can live, because if it's left unchecked, they will kill themselves. Truth. I mean, Thanos is not wrong. Overpopulation will eventually kill us. But did you guys notice this movie completely screws with the timeline? We talked about this with Spider-Man Homecoming. Remember, Spider-Man Homecoming started with the cleanup of the Battle of New York, and Michael Keaton's there picking up the wreckage. And then it says eight years later. And it should have been like four or something, right? They went too far in the future. We're like, is this 2020? Did they do this intentionally? Because they're going to do three Spider-Man films, and they don't want to have six years pass with him in high school well here tony stark says to dr strange thanos has been in my head for six years wait a second now if civil war happened and then homecoming happened immediately after and that was eight years after the battle of new york then did tony have two good years in there Uh, it's all the time stone yeah, Thanos has been screwing with... Oh, well, I guess Doctor Strange has it at this point. He's been screwing with time. There is a time stone. Kevin Feige said they have a timeline worked out and they may reveal it at some point. Could the number of years that happened in between change? They're not so linked together that you need to understand chronologically when they're happening. Uh, yeah, there's probably flaws, but I don't think anyone but you noticed. But here, Doctor Strange... You know, I always look at movies as who has an arc. And Thanos certainly has an arc here in that he is becoming more resolved and realizing there's a cost to doing the right thing. Doctor Strange has an arc here because he started off saying he would let anyone die before he'd give up that time stone. And here, Stark is skewered and Strange offers a deal. You can have the time stone if you let Stark live. But it's not out of loyalty. I mean, no. we, we saw it on the reverse side. You know, he was under all those micro pins that Voldemort had on him. And Tony was like, if I save him, it's a professional courtesy. It's not because we're friends here. Again, it's because Strange believes the only way to save the universe is to have that future where Tony must do something cool before he dies. Yes. Because he will die the next movie. Yes. He and Cap are dead meat, but the joke on us is we thought it was coming this movie. 
I don't know about Cap. Cap could walk into the sunset. Killing both is harsh. But Thanos now has five of the six stones, and he has to go to Wakanda to get the sixth. The most popular Marvel movie now might be Black Panther. Well, it was until yesterday when Infinity War came out. Right. Yeah, I'm just saying the, the most popular area of the universe might be Wakanda. It's good to save it for the climax. It's complete coincidence. When writing the movie, the writers were like, are we repeating what's happening in Black Panther too much? I mean, this was filmed before Black Panther came out. I was thinking it was the other way around, but that movie just came out like two months ago. Yeah, they were afraid it was too much. Also, the writers, they hadn't seen Black Panther, and it doesn't sound like the Russos had seen Black Panther, because when Chadwick Boseman showed up on the set, he says, yeah, we have this chant thing we do before we go to battle. And they're like, really? All right, let's let's do the chant thing. <laughs> so Yeah, it was, it was weird. I guess they didn't know about the rhinos, because I'm like, where are the rhinos? Why aren't they using those in this big battle? They have to go to the red carpets, right? But when you're making a film this big, you don't even, like, see your wife and kids, right? <laughs> you just, you live with this for two years and then you can go and catch up. So yeah, I'm sure that they weren't taking inspiration for what was being made conjunctively, but happenstance or not, it's wonderful that we return to Wakanda for this end here. They are the perfect place. If you're going to keep vision out of the hands of Thanos, I would think that they would be the ones to be able to do it. And that, yeah, Shuri would be the one to get it out of his head without killing him. Yeah, they got to what? Disconnect all these neurons that have grown to the stone. Some kind of babble. Yeah, Star Trek techno babble. She just needs time. And yeah, I think Wakanda does make sense. And it's a good place to bring in Chadwick Boseman. We saw them a little bit at the beginning when White Wolf got his new arm. But now Cap comes. We get some more playful banter. I just love the little scenes that make these people feel real. Like when War Machine tells Banner, yes, we bow in front of the king. And (laughs) (laughs) I do like when T'Challa is like, get this man a shield. That's a cool moment. I I wish it was a Captain American shield. I think it's a different line delivery than in the trailer, though. It just it looked different here. What Bruce realizes is that he can be a superhero, but he can't be his inner monster. He has to get into a Hulkbuster and learn an entirely different way. He has to not be angry and is kind of enjoying it so much that he's like tripping in the suit. But I, I am really watching him like evolve and think, wow, I wonder if this will inspire him to figure out how to be a Hulk where he has his own mind and not driven by anger. Seeing him in the Hulkbuster armor was fun. Yeah, you're going to bring every weapon you have to bear. Except Hawkeye and Ant-Man. They're not here. They're hanging out with their families or something. A line was said that they cut a deal after Civil War. Obviously, we're going to find out what that deal is this summer. There's an Ant-Man movie, and I presume Hawkeye's in it. I don't think so, but, you know, the Russo said Hawkeye was in this movie, and he wasn't in this movie, so something else changed. Maybe they mixed it up. He's in the next one. (laughs) (laughs) That's very likely. If you shot two movies at once, you may believe up until the last minute you're going to keep this scene or that scene and then realize, nope. Yeah, put it in the next movie. I thought Hawkeye would be our end credits scene, actually, but we'll get to that. But yeah, they bring out everything they have in their arsenal. M'Baku is back, my favorite supporting character from Black Panther. That's the one from the Gorilla Clan? Yeah, the Jabari. Yeah, like the guy from Get Out, he's not here. The Rhino Clan. It feels weird. I guess, again, they didn't know who they were using as they were co-filming this. I'm assuming he's just off screen somewhere. His warriors are here. They don't have the rhinos themselves. You bring in 
rhinos when there's an alien invasion. I mean, that's the time to bring them in. In fact, it feels like that scene here. When we see what the two children that are left of Thanos, what they're going to do, it's bring down these giant triangles that unleash... Not Chitauri, but other nameless hordes of aliens. CGI monsters of some variety that kind of remind me of rhinos charging. And they fooled me. I wasn't quite sure in first watching how many children of Thanos there were and what happened where, but on the second viewing, it really hit me when they have their little meeting where the two children of Thanos go to the edge of Wakanda's big shield. Did anyone else get Phantom Menace flashbacks yes. with the big shield and the battle yep. in the grass? I was there. And in Black Panther, you know, it was very asking boss and ask for help when they go to the Jabari. But yeah, it, when they have their little summit... It turns out that Proxima Midnight, who's there with Cull Obsidian, who now has a robotic hand because Wong cut one hand off. Throwing him in the Arctic at the end of that Central Park fight. I did love in the end credits. It had an Alaskan filming unit, so somebody was in Alaska with a camera. For a day. <laughs> but they say Corvus Glaive was killed. Like, when Black Widow impaled him, it killed him, but it's a lie. He is sent in on a stealth mission, commando style, to infiltrate the castle where Shuri is working on Vision, and nobody's expecting it because they think all of the baddies are coming at them from the front. Yeah, they're waiting for Witch to get involved in the fray. Everyone else is out there fighting, but Witch is hanging out by Vision because as soon as the stone pops out, she's got to zap it. That's their whole plan. Eventually, they stop with the monster horde and they send in like these rolling saw blades that actually go under the dome and she goes out there to kind of handle them. Yeah, the death rollers came in and just started mowing people down. As Black Widow and Okoye were both going to get mowed down, Scarlet Witch jumps into the action, saves them, takes the death roller, kills a bunch of the four-armed dogs with them, and Okoye gets the great line, why was she up there all this time? Yeah. You want to see some of these team-ups. I mean, you want to see Rocket and Bucky with the arm just spinning around shooting things they know they don't have time to develop it but they just want to give you the comic book panel version mm -hmm. of what it's like to see all of these different matchups and mashups and the teams they made the writers talked about how they literally had cards that they'd move around like who are we going to team up with who at which point and it is so fun to see okoye scarlet witch and black widow fighting proxima midnight together just these different worlds working together, but yet with similar stick fighting styles and things. And Cap and Black Panther, when they're charging, those are the two with the superpowers who run up in front of everybody. And it's kind of like Superman and the Flash. We're not going to get one as faster than the other. Is Cap in this movie? Again, I'm shocked at how little he does in this movie. He ends up kind of half saving Vision. Vision takes that Green Goblin one and flies out the window. But actually, Vision's the one that wins in the end. Cap really didn't do anything. Well, Vision is again stabbed and barely able to move, and Cap distracts Corvus until Vision can pick up Corvus's weapon and get the revenge of spearing him from the back. If Cap hadn't been there, Vision certainly would have died. That's a Falcon move. That's like a C-stringer <laughs> move. And Falcon, if you want to talk about somebody who never gets a moment in this film, Bucky gets the moment when he picks up Rocket. War Machine gets a moment where he mm -hmm. napalms the bad guys. What does Falcon do? Yeah, he's up there flying. What I would say is rather than let the Horde in in a tiny door, why not open a little window? 
window and let them go out and bomb them outside the dome. That was the plan <laughs> that they should have come up with. I was wondering that too. This whole strategy I got questions about. But my bigger problem is, you know, I'm thinking about that first Avengers film during the Battle of New York. There is that great scene where you get the Avengers, the camera circles around them, and they're all just doing the pose. We got something similar, I think, in Age of Ultron, where they all, it kind of freezes the frame as they're jumping into battle at the beginning in the forest. I'm waiting for some kind of moment like that, just like, look, here, you're in Avengers film, and here's that hero shot, and uh, it's just characters yeah falcon shooting his guns and bucky shooting his machine gun and rocket really digs it i thought that was a funny moment but where's that hero moment like before we get the downfall of all these heroes which is coming up where is that big like just that heroic shot like we've posed them all is imax big enough to even get all of those people (laughs) in i do realize that is part of the problem but avengers had six people in a circle this is a throng that you just could not capture in a single shot Next movie, Jacob, the only one who you won't see is Gamora. Keep in mind, at no point are all the people on the same planet in this movie. Iron Man and Doctor Strange and the Guardians are still off on Titan. All we have here is, yes, Thor returns. Everybody's going to lose. There's that moment where the Hulkbuster armor is overrun and Banner's begging Hulk to come out. Cap is overrun, and I wonder, I I don't think they're going to give it to these little dogs to kill Cap, but I don't know what's going to happen in this movie. Then Thor comes in with Stormbreaker, dropped line by Dinklage. Stormbreaker might even be able to summon the Bifrost. It did. And that's what brought Rocket, Groot, and Thor. We get another big laugh line. Mm. I am Groot. I am Steve Rogers. <laughs> yeah. That's, again, that's the kind of humor I like because it isn't someone trying to be funny. It's poor, genuine Steve. Doesn't get the joke. That's what's wonderful about him is that he's not trying to be sarcastic. You know what I really missed, though, when Thor showed up? I really, really wanted them to play the immigrant immigrant song. song. (laughs) I really wanted some (laughs) Zeppelin there. That moment would have been so badass. Sylvester's score in this is decent. He did the first Avengers, and so he does a lot of callbacks to that Avengers theme. But here in the fight, when Thor shows up, I felt the score was lacking, and that Zeppelin would have been so much better. Right. But all of this is in service of the final big moment of will you kill the one to save them all. We've seen that play out in various ways. Dr. Strange and Stark and Gamora and Thanos. Well, here's the big one. They've teased it all movie. It's for Scarlet Witch to put her lover out of his misery. And Thanos has arrived. He's got five of the stones. What's she going to do? Will she flake? I assume that's what she's going to do. No, she does the hard choice. She did what Peter Quill did. She pulls the trigger. It just doesn't work because he's that powerful. Well, it does work. Yeah, I was so mad because I'm like, really? How many people just died on that battlefield because you didn't do this to begin with? If you're going to do it now? Well, the plan was to try to save them. This is a last chance option here. This was not the plan. Yeah, she's waiting. She's watching them fall. Like, all right, Bucky's going to go in. Bucky's going to go down. Cap's going to go in. Cap's going to get punched in the face. Panther, all of them, they give it a go. She's looking at them, hoping against hope that one of them could stop what she knows in her heart she needs to do. 
And I know we got the moment in the trailer, but I do want to compliment the motion capture because when Captain America is trying to hold off Thanos and he's actually holding the glove, I do love the look that Josh Brolin gives. Just looks like, wow, I am very intrigued by this character that he's able to hold me off like this. It's the little moment, but oh, I wish there was more moments like that. I agree. Brolin's facial expression time and time again comes through in a way I've never seen before. The CGI mocap keeps getting better. I was upset initially that they gave Thanos a makeover, the same way they did to Hulk and Ragnarok. They made Thanos look more like Brolin and less like he did in Guardians and Avengers. But now, having seen this movie, they made CGI work like practical makeup for the first time ever. I mean, there is those Planet of the Apes films that are super good. I think it's better because it emotes more. Yeah, I like that it's not Wonder Woman versus Ares, where it's just a video game. It helps me get into it more. Proxima looked like that. I mean, I think there are some that are good and some that are not. No, they spent their money on the real actors, yeah. (laughs) There are times when the effects are great, and there are times when the effects are mediocre. It's all in slow-mo. They take away the sound effects. It's all Sylvester score as... We're watching this happen. But when Thanos takes his non-gauntlet fist and punches Cap in the face, when I saw this with Marjorie, Marjorie was like, (gasps) she thought that might have, like, done his face in. But it's just enough to give him a concussion and knock him out. It's a hard blow, though, to take out Cap. And he's going right for that rock. And remember, I don't know if this is going to be part one of two. And so I see the stone break and I'm like, did they win? No, because he's got the time stone. We know there's time travel possible. Yeah, and he's using all of the stones here. I think that's impressive. He got there with the blue space stone. He's using the power purple one to do the stuff. But he does change reality, too. Like, at some point, Black Widow ends up being grabbed by tree roots. So he's using the red one. At Hulkbuster, he uses the reality one to, like, Hulkbuster travels through him and goes into some rocks. He's used them all. Now he's even used time to bring back Vision and pluck that final one out of his head but what's the soul stone going to do he has not used that one it's this this is the soul stone this is how he's able to take the lot but he almost doesn't because again he gets all of the stones this could be the climax of the film because thor shows up he has stormbreaker the thanos killing weapon they could still have this not be part one of two because in any other movie Thor could throw that axe and end it, saving Earth at the last moment. Only because it's part one of two does Thanos say, you should have gone for the head and snapped those fingers. I think it's more than that. I actually think this movie is about failure. And I think that this movie has a conclusion in which what is it like when you don't win? This needed to be the ending. Not a part one of two cliffhanger, but the ending is... You all fail. You lose. This is not a cliffhanger when we watch them die. This is what failure looks like. I think because we have this magical moment in which the orange hue of the soul gem is covering that pagoda, which is now submerged in the water, and little Gamora is there. Back when she was working with him to accomplish this, she wants to know, did he do it? And what did it cost? I think it did cost the glove. When we cut back to the scene, it looks like the glove... Is burned beyond use. Yeah, it wasn't like that before the snap. Yeah, it's it's been crushed. <laughs> Wielding that power. I mean, he has enough power to teleport away. He can use the space stone to get out of that moment. But I don't think he's going to have that again. I think he'll, though, the glove will have enough power to undo all of these deaths. Because I know there's a Spider-Man movie coming out next year. Let's hold off what we think is going to happen. <laughs> I do have 
strong ideas about what I think will happen. Well, unless Donald Glover or Ned is going to put on a Spider-Man suit. <laughs> yeah. No, no, they're not. We can be cynical and say we know that their movie's coming and that all of these tests we're watching are not really going to stick. But I got to say, watching it the second night with families and people that probably didn't read anything other than this is a new Avengers movies, people were devastated. <gasps> Oh, I turned, the show was turning and watching the family behind me who had been talking the whole time. (laughs) And I thought they were going to light votive candles. I mean, they looked like they had been destroyed. When I saw this movie the third time, Marjorie was finally able to go with me. And I'll admit, during every death, I made sure that I did it subtly so she didn't notice, but I watched her instead of the screen. Mm-hmm. And when everybody starts to just turn to ash, Bucky is first, and Bucky is my wife's love. That's her fave. But she was okay with that. When Groot goes, I heard her whimper. <laughs> It is kind of funny in like a David Fincher Alien 3 way. I'm like, I'm going to hear Newt's like ribcage snap open. It's just so cruel the way that they take these people out. It's one by one and it's slow. And the lingering, the lingering. I had to call my brother because I knew how much his daughter loved Spider-Man. And I knew the second their show would have been out, I like texted him. I'm like, is she weeping? He's like, oh yeah, beyond consolation right now. And behind me, I didn't have to watch my wife because when Spider-Man goes, it's the hardest thing. He's like, Mr. Stark, I don't want to go. And he's hugging Tony. They milk that one. I feel funny. And the people behind me were like, oh my God, won't this end? I mean, there are devastated in my audience. Yeah, and something I realized upon second showing, Spidey got in the club this one. They made a a little, just, it's a brief moment, but Stark, after he realizes he can't send him home, he does some little mock hand signal and he says, okay, you're an Avenger now. So, like, they had cemented the bond of, like, for this whole time, homecoming and what have you, he'd been pushing him out of the car, saying, you're not really in my life. Tony had taken him in. To have him taken in and then die in his arms, like, yeah, it is brutal. It's malicious, even. I do love the reference to Batman and Robin when Doctor Strange asks Tony, what's the relationship here? Is this your ward? (laughs) And yeah, the audience was just devastated. They were not expecting this. There were young kids. There were tears. And really, it was a surprise that it took this long for so many deaths. I was prepared for a movie in which people were wiped out every scene, Mm kind of like Last Stand X-Men. But no, this is the response I heard. I didn't stay for the end credits the second time. I was walking out during the credits. The response I heard is, worst Marvel ending ever. People were mad. Yeah. I heard the same kind of thing. There was anger at losing. You come into a Marvel movie expecting to win. You come into a Marvel movie expecting to walk out with a smile on your face and having seen your heroes triumphant. Well, apparently these people have never watched a DC film. Yes. I know. The Deadpool trailer before this, what he said to Cable, so dark. Are you sure you're not from the DC universe? Could apply to this movie, at least the ending of it. Uh, It's still pretty breezy. Like, show worldwide devastation. It's not just half the superheroes disappear. Like, this is half of the world. And we'll get it in the end credit scene. You know, we'll see a helicopter crash into a building. But in the comic, you actually see, like, Trump Tower in Atlantic City get destroyed. Now, of course, you can't do that. That's too much of a hot button issue. I don't even know if Trump Tower is still around in Atlantic City. But you see worldwide devastation when half of the people are raptured up and just disappear. I mean, left behind, and that didn't have a billion dollars, shows worldwide devastation when people just start disappearing. 
Maybe it's because the rapture was supposed to happen this week. I don't know if you guys saw online, like it the was? rapture was supposed to be last Tuesday. I thought it was like a few years ago. <laughs> well, it was, and then it was supposed to be last Tuesday. But I was so thinking, like, cut to the religious people, like, sad. Like, we're the ones who were sinners. The good yeah. people are gone. <laughs> well, maybe it's a happy ending because Thanos sure looks happy. I mean, he told Strange that this is what he was going to do, and he's in pain, he's limping, he's living in some kind of strange Japanese house somewhere. He's gone to the farm, like at the end of that comic. I didn't expect that. He's growing corn in space. If they bring him back in the next film to fight, I don't think he will put up much of a battle. He doesn't want to live. It was never about controlling the universe or owning it or taking it away from people. It was a necessary act. It was a selfless act. I'm willing to sacrifice myself and be the bad guy to let us all live. But he said he'd watch the sun rise on a grateful universe. I don't see too much gratitude. Well, we haven't seen the fallout of it yet. That ending would have been so much more powerful if this was just a Thanos story and watching a villain succeed wipe out half the universe. I think because they call it Infinity War and not Infinity War Part 1, there is something about it that does have its own kind of terrible closure. And I think that's the point. And the Russos are teasing the next film has a different title. It's not going to be Infinity War 2. But I think the point is to linger on that message. Even the end stinger. I'm like, are they really going to have some Ant-Man jokes to tease the next film? <laughs> no, not the next film. I forget there's a one after before we get to Avengers. Yeah, but Maria Hill and Sam Jackson, that was unexpected. Because he just took off and went into hiding, right? He wasn't hanging out with Maria after Civil War. Well, there was that time in Age of Ultron where he shows up with the helicarriers to save their ass, and Tony asks Maria, were you ever not working for Fury? So they'd been off somewhere, and people were wondering why he didn't rear his head during Civil War, but... To show up here at the end and to see the rapture in New York, see cars start crashing and a helicopter fly into a building, I thought one of them would go. And when Maria Hill went, I'm like, well, Kobe Smulders has been doing the con circuit lately. Maybe she didn't have much work to do if she's dust, but I didn't expect both of them to go. Yeah. You want to say motherfuck. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he gets a pager signal off too. Captain Marvel, I'm guessing Stuart didn't know that. I was like, is that strawberry shortcake? I had no idea what the, it was like a snowflake or a strawberry or some kind of emoji. It's like a star, yeah. I had to lean over to Stuart and go, yeah, that's Captain Marvel's yeah. chest plate. Yeah, I did the same with my wife. She's like, okay, explain it to me. Yes, and I do laugh, Thanos will return. No guarantees on anybody else. The only one they're promising, <laughs> Thanos will return. I thought they would say Thanos would return in name this movie because since they were so teasing of the movie title for part four i thought they'd reveal it at the end credits here but nope but what do you guys think i mean who do you think is really dead who do you think is going to die i'm afraid that captain marvel will be the only person strong enough to wield the gauntlet and make things right i hate that our heroes have to call in some super-powered Cree woman from the 90s to fix this. Well, what do we know officially? We know Cat was still standing, Widow was still standing, Thor was there. The original Avengers are still alive. Yeah. That's what I noticed. It's all the originals. Banner, Rocket, Okoye, Mbutu, Iron Patriot, and then on the other world, it was Nebula and Stark. Yeah, the dead ones are Bucky, Black Panther... Come on, you know they're making another Black Panther film. Oh, man, they got to retcon that because that movie was super popular. Groot, Scarlet Witch, 
Falcon, Mantis. When Mantis went, I thought it could be permanent. When Drax went, I'm like, James Gunn is not going to let all these Guardians die. Mantis could stay dead. Star-Lord, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, Maria Hill, Nick Fury. Right. And then there's the other ones we don't know. The one I'm most curious about, honestly, I bet you Pepper Potts went. I bet you it's going to hit Tony hard <laughs> when he realized his wife and maybe his child was taken from him. Either way, she's gone because there was the moment where he's on the ship and Pepper's like, you come back here. And Friday, his AI goes, boss, we're losing her. And that had a double meaning. She was both losing signal, but also she's done with Tony. Yeah, she's going to be pregnant, though. And so she'll have to stick around, I guess. Oh, she's not breaking up with Tony. No way. <laughs> she did once. Oh, come on. It did not mean that. Here's my thing. Anyone that turned to Ash is going to be brought back. Mm -hmm. My real question is Gamora. Like, that's the only one. Loki, I think Tom Hiddleston is done with the Marvel Universe. He could stay dead. Gamora, though, I need her. If we're going to have more Guardians, she's got to be with Peter. Yeah, I, that's a tough one. I'm not sure what the best way for it. They could definitely bring her back, but I feel like that one would be cheap. Here's what I'm predicting. One thing, the point of failure is that something good comes out of it. You learn and you redo. What's going to happen out of this? Obviously, Tony and Steve have to talk again. Obviously, the Civil War is over because they have no choice. There are no other stances they can take apart from one another. They have to come together to fix this and to die. They're both going to die by doing it. To bring the others back, to wield that soul stone, they are going to have to give up their own life. We've seen what it is to take a life. To bring back a life is probably to lose a life. And I'm betting that Tony, in order to bring back maybe all of them, will sacrifice himself. I agree that Tony will sacrifice himself. I also agree everybody who turns to dust will come back. I'm iffy on Vision because Vision, the way it was ripped out... Gamora, the trade was a soul for a soul. If they take the stone back, does Gamora come back? Maybe that's Guardians 3, the search for Gamora. It's them taking back the soul stone. If they undo Gamora's death, it's cheap as hell, and I will be very mad. It is comics, though. What if Thanos gives his life for her? I will still be very mad. I bet that could happen. I bet you Thanos will make that choice because, again, he loved her. I don't think they're going to kill everybody whose contract is run out. I thought maybe Tony Stark would retire a father, but now I think Tony Stark will die and that he will sacrifice himself heroically and what he does will bring back the Ashen people. He will be aided by Captain Marvel. I think Cap will just retire or maybe, you know, I don't see them killing both. I just think that that's cheap to kill both. Kill one, it's a tragedy. Kill two, it's a statistic. No, I think Tony will be the one to do the sacrifice. I think Red Skull is going to claim Cap Skull. <laughs> that might be the only reason for bringing Red Skull back. Who Obviously, knows? there's a reason. Why else do it? Because they've shoved everyone in this movie. That's the point of this movie. They didn't bring back Jeff Bridges. There are people that aren't here. They didn't even bring back Hawkeye or Ant-Man. Or Abomination. <laughs> He's the one who's alive. I, they should have just had one scene of Abomination turning to dust. It wouldn't have cost them anything. But yeah, it's all you gotta know is there's a Spider-Man movie next year. And extrapolate from that what's happened to these Ashen people. But there's also an Avengers movie next year. Before we get to it, what about this one? Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Infinity War? Jacob. Here's my biggest compliment for this film. I was dreading the running time. 
and I thought it went by pretty breezy. It did not feel like it was two and a half hours because it's just an action film with nonstop fighting going on. That's my problem with it. I feel like this is a Saturday morning cartoon. There's lots of booming and banging and all that stuff going on. I just don't feel anything during it. Maybe in my old age, I'm desensitized or something, but I wanted to feel something. And I felt little things with Thanos. I wish this was just a Thanos story that was self-contained, but also an obvious cliffhanger with half the universe dying. And that could get resolved in the next Avengers film. Arnie, you said this is what fanboy dreams are made of. I agree. And so if you like all those Marvel films, you're going to like this one. This felt like a prologue for Avengers 4. So I didn't really care for it. If you like the Avengers stuff, you're going to like this one, of course. But it didn't draw me in. I'm going to give it a not recommend just because I don't feel it's necessary. It's a prologue to what we'll get next year. Stuart. Wow, not recommend. I can understand feeling disappointed. Obviously, it's built to do that. It's designed to do it. It's a movie about failure which is, I think, perfect for our time. Every time they try to stop a stone from being grabbed, they will fail. We realize that before they do. So, yes, there are climaxes atop climaxes, and there's no debate this time. Everyone agrees Thanos has to be stopped, so it's just a matter of do we kill one thing in order to save the many? And we have that debate. But by and large, everyone understands Thanos is bad. And so it's just not as compelling as a Civil War or a Winter Soldier, where you see people make good cases on both sides and hash it out on the battlefield. But I do think it's an important movie for our times to reflect on when we don't win. Part of my problem, honestly, with the superhero genre is it feels like self-help. And I just hate those. I hate how those people try to tell you you should be rich and powerful and have the mansion and all of that. You know what? Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you fail. You need to sit there and reflect on that and realize that that's not the end of your life. That's not the end of the world. Take a moment to live with that and you'll be a lot happier in the end because failure isn't the end. It's an opportunity for creativity and rebirth. And I do think this Avengers team will be better. Now that half of them are gone, they will come together and be stronger and produce a stronger movie next time to fight and get back what they want. I mean, I'm I'm conflicted because I know we only got half a movie and I don't like that. I wish I had the real conclusion, but I also like the fact that it ends on failure. And that we're not to think of it as a cliffhanger. We're to end on thinking that sometimes you don't win. And that is okay. So it's hard. I get it's going to bring tears. But I just think it's necessary. I really want to compliment Brolin. I think he is that center that you're looking for, Jacob, for me. I think without Josh Brolin giving this performance... I might have checked out of this film because it is too much. But I think we're going to get more of his story. And I think the movie next year will bring this one. Right now, I'm giving it a solid recommend. I think it could even be a high recommend if the movie is as good as I suspect it will be next year. But yeah, this to me feels like a greatest hits album. Everyone came back to sing the song you already know. And it built to the start of what should be a really interesting journey next time. Jacob... I have to take severe issue with giving a red arrow to a movie that is able to pull off what it does. Stuart, you said it's an important movie for our time because it deals with failure, and I agree with that. But I also feel you cannot 
overlook the achievement that it is to do this movie. What's the achievement that alone deserves a recommend? This Marvel series has gone across 18 movies, but none of them have had an epic scope until this one. And to take so many personalities and bring ideas together that were all written separately by different people. You know, these writers have written the Captain America films, but... Each movie has had a different creator bring in a different type of character, and then, in the case of Thor, a recreator in Taika who fixed him. But to take all of these characters, keep them true to their characters, you have seen epics that were built to be epics, like Lord of the Rings was written to be an epic, and... It was designed as such, but to take a huge number of stars and put them in a movie and to have it feel, I'll use Thanos' word, balanced, and to take a villain and to make him actually sympathetic, to give emotion to it. I admit, certain fans of certain characters may feel underserved. Marjorie walked out, first of all, saying she'd never been so tense in a movie from beginning to end as she was in this one, except for Star Wars A New Hope when she saw that first as a kid. She also said, walking out, Cap was underserved. He had a great entrance, but he didn't do much. If you're fans of certain characters, you're going to feel they're underserved here. Bucky doesn't do anything. Cap doesn't do anything. If you're a Falcon fan... Not recommend? <laughs> no one is, though, thankfully. I like Anthony Mackie. I like Falcon. He was one of the better parts of Ant-Man, but I feel everyone except Falcon has a moment. War Machines is kind of lame, but everybody but Falcon has a moment. And to take this concept and to bring it together the way they've done, I've said it before, it's not a job I would want to be tasked with doing, and I think they did it. It's a gorgeous-looking film. The Russos have become great filmmakers in their style and the feeling of the action going on there's a lot going on and to make me know at all times where the characters are and what the characters are doing is really good the effects all right Stuart, i'm gonna have to give you this one proxima midnight not only looked like a final fantasy character in design but also in effects yeah it looked like it was 2001 again I think other than that, the effects, the fact that when Thanos turns around to Gamora on that cliff and Gamora's mocking him, oh, tears, and I see the tears, and I feel what Thanos is feeling, that I know every thought going through his head because the recreation of Brolin's face, and Brolin, man, I don't have any problem with Brolin, I thought he was good and true grit, but I'm not a Brolin fan, but my god, he gave a hell of a performance here behind CGI, I, it's just amazing and the suspense this movie kept me in suspense from beginning to end and you're right you know what we're all calling this a part one of two let's take it as it is it's just a nihilistic film is there going to be another film that's going to retcon and undo some of this absolutely but this is an ending thanos watching the sunrise is an ending I'm not going to damn the film for meta-knowledge that I know another film is going to undo some of it. I'll damn the film that undoes it. And I want to make it clear, I'm not damning this because it's a part one. I agree, if this was a stronger Thanos film, it, that ending would be very satisfying. To me, we saw the war. We saw it happen in space. We saw it happen in Wakanda. And 
I like the plot. I've never liked the cosmic stuff in the Marvel Universe. This made the Infinity Gauntlet saga interesting to me. I read those comics in the 90s, and I went, meh. And now I like this plot. I like Thanos' motivation. I like that it makes me think. It has been so long since America has had serious conversation about population control. It's a conversation the world needs to start having before it's too late. I like that I have this thought. I had the same thought with Valentine in Secret Service. And the pacing of this film, when I saw it the first time, so much happened that I really started to feel tired the very first time I saw it. And I looked at my watch at one point and I'm like, oh my God, we're one hour in. I've got two hours to go. Then the second hours, though, went pretty dang quick. I think that the introductions to everything felt a little bit labored the first time. But on that time, I was in such suspense that I wasn't able to really enjoy the movie. I'm just like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? The second and third time I saw this movie, it raced by. The fact that I sat in a theater for nearly six hours, I basically did a movie marathon by just seeing one movie twice. And I had no problems with the pacing on it. I think you want to ask what they did amazing. It's not just taking a bunch of characters and putting them on a screen. It's taking a bunch of characters, putting them on a screen and making it feel like a movie and not feel like a clip show or feel overly dragged out. This movie was as long as it needs to be. My reference to this would be Last Stand. And this is a much better construction of an apocalyptic battle than Last Stand, which I think you both really liked. I didn't really like it, but yeah, it's a recommend. And what I also like about this is the writing, the dialogue, the quips, the banter. This is a heavy movie. This is a intense movie that my audience was not ready for. I don't know. You're selling this like it's Schindler's List. It's a superhero movie. And because heroes die, that makes it intense. It's unexpected. It's the expectation of coming in for fluffy fun and walking out where as many people died as in Schindler's List. Right. No one expects to lose when they watch a superhero movie. And just the fact that they did have the dialogue that worked so well, that all the characters remain true to themselves. This is what people imagined happening when these characters run into each other. It did not disappoint. And the score. I thought Silvestri lacked a little bit when Thor came in, but I like Silvestri's score a lot in this. It felt heroic, and it really amped up the meaning and when Thanos is in slow-mo pushing down on Cap and Scarlet Witch is killing Vision, the music there, it really got me. This is a strong recommend, and this is up there as one of my favorite films out of 19 in the MCU. I think the one next time will be better. I don't mean Ant-Man. I, I mean, the next Avengers film, I think, is going to elevate this one. It's my hope. We'll see, because I'm not hating on this one. I'm just ambivalent. I hear what you're saying, Jacob. I had some of those feelings watching it the first time. Watching it the second time, it gave me permission to not be mad about what they didn't include. I was like, okay, I didn't get that. But there is more coming. You just have to accept that. And it's always an irritant when you have an incomplete story, when a story is broken up over several movies. But if we weren't, if this was the last movie in the MCU, if this had been built up as we've done 19 movies, we're retiring it, and this is the end. I think everyone would be crying. <laughs> yes, exactly. Everyone would be crying. And would you have a different feeling? Absolutely. I mean, what a way to go. I mean, that's a big... That is a Star-Lord middle finger as you fall out. <laughs> Boom. 
move. It would be. It's like Ryan Johnson wrote a Marvel film to just piss off everyone. But again, though, if this was presented the same way, there's no emotional core for me here. I need a Thanos movie if that's the ending you want to give me to the Marvel Universe. And this is not a Thanos movie. I think it is a Thanos movie, but I agree that he is only sometimes able to stay in the spotlight because there are so many other people fighting for it. I mean, we talked a whole lot about other stuff than Thanos in this review. Yeah, I hear you. But I think his story will become cleaner and I think we will get more of it next time. And I think... I talked about him because he's the through line, and if I get no more of him in the next movie, if I get no more backstory, I'm satisfied with what I got. They had to be efficient. They couldn't linger. They couldn't dawdle. Not the entire movie is efficient. I agree with you on the Thor stuff. It's fun to watch Thor, but it's a pointless side quest. But the way they tell Thanos' story is efficient, and I got what I needed, and I got it from Brolin's performance more than anything else. The casting there is amazing. Just incredibly amazing. But yes, next we have Ant-Man. I will say this. I think it's actually wise to follow up a movie this dark with one that's going to be presumably. Presumably, they're not going to end up being turning into ash. You don't think they're going to blow away in ash at the end? <laughs> no, I do not think they'll even go there. I don't know how they will evade this news, whether it will exist beforehand or what they will do. But I think that they will not reference... Just as Black Panther didn't really reference what this was going to do, I think it will be a standalone, not really tethered to the larger storylines of the Marvel Universe, kind of light comedy. And then we'll get back into it with whatever the hell Captain Marvel is. Captain Marvel is shaping up to be really interesting, and I don't think this is going to spoil anything, but... The cast they've pulled together, it's a 90s period piece. This is where Nick Fury got his really old pager is in the 90s. It looks like a 90s pager like I had, only with some extra gear so it could be intergalactic with its paging. But it's in the 90s. It's got Sam Jackson. Mm -hmm. It's got Brie Larson. Yep. Ronan is coming back. Lee Pace is going to be in it. Okay, that's not grabbing me, but Jude Law's in it. Clark Gregg is coming back. We're going to get more Coulson because he's not dead in the 90s. Okay, you're talking about returning characters. I always look for the quality. Brie Larson is a really good actress. She won an Oscar for a reason. And I think if you have to pit Marvel versus DC, I think she is going to give Gal Gadot a run for her money. I do think she's going to be killer in whatever part you give her. I'm really excited, though, because of the returning characters. In a Marvel Universe film, in any superhero film, you've got to do something to get me excited for that superhero. You're not going to get me excited for Captain Marvel. I liked her as Ms. Marvel when she was Earthbound. When she went cosmic, I said, I'm not a cosmic comic fan, but if you're going to give me this origin story and you're giving me these returning characters and it's been way too long since we've had Nick Fury do something important, I'm happy for that. And it's going to give us the origin story so that when she shows up and saves everybody, except for Tony Stark, in whatever the fourth Avengers film is, it'll all make sense to us, the audience. Well, that's what's happening next in the Marvel Universe. Next week, we're still going to be dealing with time travel and particulate in the air because we're going back to video games, specifically Prince of Persia. Jake Gyllenhaal as an Arab. <laughs> no problem with that at all. And of course, if you want to talk about epics, the Godfather trilogy concludes this Friday. If you're a donor at gold level, you're going to get the third Al Pacino gangster film. I cannot tell you how happy I am that we reviewed The Godfather right now. Because when I was watching Infinity War and seeing all the things going on, I thought of nothing so much as the review we released the day I went to Infinity War twice 
Godfather Part 2 with all of its multi-threaded storylines and characters that never intersect. I felt this movie was on the level of scope of Godfather 2, and I think we had a great conversation about the first two Godfathers that have come out. I hope we can do the same for Godfather 3 this Friday. I know that it is a bit more divisive a film. It is. I do think it gets a bum rap because of some of the more serious flaws sort of or overshadow its nicer qualities. But yeah, I hope you can join us because I do think they're strong, long shows and it'll wrap up this Friday. Just to run down our donation drive in case you've skipped a couple of video game reviews the past few weeks, it did start two weeks ago with the Godfather series. It is our gold level Pacino Gangsters, three Godfather films, and then Scarface, Dick Tracy. Yes, Dick Tracy. (laughs) It's a gangster film. He he got an Oscar nom out of it, damn it. I hope he won for makeup. I don't think he was applying the makeup in the film. (laughs) I mean, I meant the movie. (laughs) Carlitos Way and Donnie Brasco. We started with gold because our silver level is going to build up to the first Purge coming out in July. Not the first Purge movie, but the fourth Purge movie, which is the first Purge. That's not confusing at all. <laughs> <laughs> but that we're starting with the two Assault on Precinct 13. So if you like our Carpenter reviews, we're doing another one. And how does that tie to the Purge? We explain it all, but it really does when we review the Assault on Precinct 13 2005 remake and then all four Purge films. Plus... We're going back to a couple of old favorites. We have a great white donation level because we're getting The Godfather Part 3, but, you know, let's do something really epic. Let's do something really of great scope. Deep Blue Sea 2 has just come out. Yeah, I think Sharks actually wrote and directed it. Is his hat still like a shark (laughs) fin? That's what I want to know. Was it a smart shark with a laser on its head that wrote and directed it? I believe it was. That's how we will judge the movie, is will I think more or less of the shark that made it? And then later this summer, if you haven't had enough Pratt Falls, more Chris Pratt with Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I see what you did there. <laughs> double pun. <laughs> it's rare that I get the doubles. That was, that was like the Infinity War of puns. <laughs> and finally, our platinum level this time is Pacino Cops. So if you want even more Pacino... Serpico, Cruising, Sea of Love, and Heat. All of it supports the show we do every week. We still have a lot of summer movies to do this year. Just looking at what's coming up, Deadpool 2, Solo, Incredibles 2, Ant-Man and Wasp, Mission Impossible, Fallout, Teen Titans go to the movies? I, yes. (laughs) Really excited about an animated superhero film, let me tell you. Could they change that title to Teen Titans Go Direct to Streaming? Yeah. (laughs) Going to Turnabout. Hey, my seven-year-old's super excited about that one. She loves that cartoon. Did she take my place co-hosting that show? Done and done. Oh, she was going to take my place. (laughs) So all that's coming up. It's all because of supporters who are able to do this. Plus, we're getting real close with our Patreon campaign. I'm excited about a possible website redesign. I really just want to get a modern site there. And it's patrons who are going to be able to get us to hire a professional company to do that for us so thank you for listening thank you for your support if you are one of the percent of listeners who support us we will be back 
in three weeks with Deadpool 2, and between them for donors with Godfather, and for everybody else, Prince of Persia and Wing Commander. <laughs> Come on, Wing Commander! That's like, you've been building to that one for years! Yes. Arnie's finally getting to do <laughs> Wing Commander. I'm not even joking when I say it's a life-changing movie for me. <laughs> it really changed my entire course of my life. Well, you must have been doing something really wrong with your life. <laughs> <laughs> I'll discuss it on the show. You can listen to find out. So, everyone, thank you for listening. Stuart Jacob, thank you for joining me. I mean, now playing's 10th anniversary, our 19th marvel comic universe review and it'll be one more year until once again the avengers assemble in time you will know what it's like to lose dread it run from it the end is near thank you for listening to this episode of the now playing avengers retrospective series part of our Marvel Comics movie retrospective series. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, go to our archives where you can find reviews of other Marvel Comics movie series such as X-Men, The Fantastic Four, Blade, and Punisher, plus DC Comics reviews of Green Lantern, Batman, and Superman. Good luck keeping up. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, Back to the Future, The Fast and the Furious, Tron, Avatar, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and many more. I'm bringing the party to you. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Is it too much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, The Godfather, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Get yourself something nice for me. I already did. And? Oh, it's very nice and very tasteful. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our host to review. Find the details on our website. It's a small price to pay for salvation. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. These books are far too advanced for anyone other than the Sorcerer Supreme. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. It's strange. Maybe. Who am I to judge? The links to our social media pages can be found at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. 
That's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. Now Playing's Avengers Retrospective series is edited by Arnie. Alright, let's start over. You can edit it. Mm -hmm. Three, two, one. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. Are you making your voice deeper? No. <gasps> you he are. just did it again. You're entertaining the guy. This is my voice. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. You really think that just because you have an idea, it belongs to you? Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the express written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Hey, fellas. Hey, wait, where are you going? Hey, you were supposed to be my lift home. How will I get out of here? Hey, oh, gee, I've got so many more stories to tell. Oh, guys. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2018, all rights reserved. Any last words? Hulk! Smash! With Josh Brolin as Thanos and Chris Pratt. Does that mean Josh Brolin is playing Chris Pratt in the movie? <laughs> So people, the Uber fans were, and not Uber as in they're fans of the DriveShare service, but mar <laughs> hardcore Marvel fans. Everybody jumped on James Cameron's bandwagon when he said he hopes Avengers ends. Yeah, well, he wants to make eight more Avatar movies. He doesn't want any originality. That, he's such a hypocrite. Try making one, James. It's been, talk about 10 years. Cull Obsidian, Proxima Midnight, and Corvus Glaive, they all sound like metal bands. They are called the Black Order in the comic, which, yeah, the Swedish death metal, that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> and he will have left a bit of himself in Pepper Potts. That's why they got... <laughs> that sounds really gross. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying is yeah. his...